and we are on air for the Hemp for Racing Radio tonight. Uh, tonight we are doing our review show, NASCAR Race Review, for Bristol and Winchester. Uh, a lot of racing at Bristol this weekend, including the Arkham Menard Series, the Arkham Menard Series East, as well as the uh, Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Cup Series. So uh, big, big night for Fan for Racing Radio tonight. Uh, and uh, joining me will be our co-host, Sal Sagala. We're going to welcome him back tonight and uh, get into our show here as soon as he arrives. So uh, in the first half hour, we're going to review the Arkham Menard Series and the Arkham Menard Series East at Bristol as well as at Winchester Speedway. They had two races this weekend. Uh, The first, of course, at Bristol on Thursday night, and then they raced again at Winchester Speedway on Saturday. Uh, Then we're going to get into the NASCAR trucks, the Xfinity, and the Cup Series review at Bristol. And, of course, uh, 9.30 p.m. ET, we will have our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with the Fan for Racing crew. Joining me now is our co-host, Sal Segala. Welcome back, Sal. Oh, thank you, Sharon. I'm, I'm having audio difficulties, so uh, I'm, I'm going to have to call me? the show back in right now. Yeah, I'll probably have to call you back oh. in. Okay. Sal's going to call back okay. in, so we'll right go ahead back. and get started with you. All righty. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get started with the uh, Arkham Menard Series review uh, at Bristol. Uh, winning that race was uh, the uh, uh, Sam Mayer uh, from the Arkham Menard Series East. Uh, but, of course, uh, that race had three different series uh, participating in just one race. So you have the Arkham Menard Series, the Arkham Menard Series East, and, of course, this was also a Sioux Chief Showdown event. So although it was one race, all three of those series accumulated points. So Sam Mayer uh, was the winner uh, in all three of those series with that race at Bristol. So that was pretty cool to see. Uh, Sal has called back in here, so we're going to bring him into the queue and see if that sounds any better, Sal. Yeah, it's it's. I just I'm not too tech savvy with the Bluetooth and all that, so. Oh, okay. But I I got it. But I got okay. it. Okay. We got it now. Okay, so we yeah. are all set now. Uh, with Dr. Gala as our coach, as our coachy, <laughs> as our co-host. And uh, we're talking about that Arkham and Art Series race, Sal, that took place at Bristol Motor Speedway on Thursday night. Uh, Sam Mayer uh, won that race after he also won the Truck Series race. So he pretty much swept Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, but to win in this this uh, ARCA race, that included the Arkham and Art Series, the ARCA East, as well as the Suchi Showdown. So that was a big deal for Sam Mayer to win this event. Oh, yeah, it was. You know, like you said, you know, especially to win the both of them, you know, is even, you know, bigger. So, uh, 
Yeah, actually, it was three with the Sioux Chief Showdown, Sal. Yeah, that's right. I forgot uh, about so, that. Yeah, so uh, he, he scored his uh, very first truck series victory earlier in the evening, and then he went right from victory lane over to the grid for the Arkham Menard Series, Bush Beans 200, uh, and, and uh, ended up winning that race as well. He's won four out of five races, uh, to move a little bit closer to winning back-to-back championships in the Arkham Menard Series East. Yeah, he's getting he's getting uh he was on a roll this weekend. I'll I'll tell you, but man, uh, it was it was pretty awesome, you know, to see him, you know, just the domination he has, especially with the regular Arkham Menard Series, and uh, you know, not having that many races and you know, having all the all the points that he's that he's accumulated, you kind of wonder if he'd have done the whole series where he would be in the point standings. No kidding. He's, he's just really been incredible. He's extended his lead. Uh, now, the Arkham Menard Series East is going to have their season finale in a couple of weeks at Memphis International Raceway. So uh, this series is starting to wind down already. Uh, and, you know, earlier in the week, too, Sal, they announced that Sam Mayer and Junior Motorsports are going to partner together in the Xfinity Series uh, and uh, will compete with them full-time in 2021. So uh, that that's pretty cool as well. Yeah, that's um, that's a really a, a big uh, – that's really a, a big, uh, you know um, – Signing for him, I was, I was surprised when I see the signing, especially this early, because they usually don't. You know, I know some of the teams are signing, but I guess I guess Juniors really wanted to make sure that he has a stable set for next season. But I know he re-signed Noah Gregson also. Uh, yes, indeed. So those are two drivers for. We're uh, pretty sure Justin Algar is going to be there, and probably Michael Lynette as well. Uh, but he led. Uh, four times for a race high 116 laps on Thursday night. He was able to pass Fred Holmes on lap 156 to take the lead for the last time. And he crossed the finish line uh, 2.572 seconds ahead of second place driver Ty Gibbs, who's also having a uh, pretty amazing year. Yeah, Ty Gibbs is at least he's coming into his own. And uh, I'll tell you, he's. Um, He's he's going to be one to watch in the, in the years coming up, and um and and I know he even talked about that he felt you know he should have won this race, you know um he just feels that he should win, you know every race he's part of. I know. I mean, and that's I that's a really good attitude to have uh, to go in expecting to win every race, and and practically doing so. And we'll talk a little bit about more more about Ty Gibbs when we get into the Winchester review, because these guys had two races this weekend. Now, uh, we've mentioned that Sam Mayer finished first. Uh, he is uh, uh, now five points ahead. Uh, no, yeah, he's five points ahead of uh, Ty Gibbs. Uh, this is Max McLaughlin came in, coming in third place for uh, uh, Hattori Racing Enterprises, Mason Diaz, uh, for Spencerini in that 25E car, uh, finished in fourth place. And then the 25 car, also with Spencerini Motorsports, finished in fifth place. 
Rounding out the top ten are Haley Deegan, Taylor Gray, Brett Holmes, and Derek Griffin, along with Justin Carroll, rounding out that top ten uh, here in the Arca Menard Series, uh, Bush Beans 200 race results. Now, um, we can also look here at the series point standings because, uh, like I mentioned, we're going to have three different series point standings to look at. And actually, let's do that after we do the review for the uh, Winchester race because uh, all of that's going to change after that Winchester race. The one point standings that I will do right now, though, is the Sioux Chief Showdown because uh, uh, the race at Winchester was not a Sioux Chief Showdown race. And this almost uh, resembles what the race finish was. Uh, Sam Mayer is in the lead at 362 points. He has four wins. Uh, the next driver is Ty Gibbs with uh, 356 points. He has the two wins. Michael Self is with one win, Brett Holmes uh, in fourth place. He does not have any wins yet. Uh, and then Chandler Smith is actually in fifth place. It shows that he has nine wins, but I don't think he has nine wins in this series. There's only been nine races, and he hasn't won all of them. Uh, Haley Deegan, Taylor Gray, Drew Dollar, Mike Basham and Brad Smith round out the top ten in the Sioux Chief Showdown. Race. There's only one more uh, Sioux Chief Showdown race because uh, this is scheduled to be ten races for this series. So uh, that's going to be coming to a close pretty soon as well. Yeah, I saw, and I, I and I think that's the reason that I, that that mayor kept. Uh, Kept on um, with the series, right? Was because the only championship he could win was a suit team. Is that the reason? No, he can win. He can win the uh, Arca East again. He won last year in the Arca East. He can win that championship back to back. Okay, I'm, that Arca series has me all twisted up, but that's probably why. Well, the ARCA East and the ARCA West are the old Pan Am Pro Series West. Yeah, no, I know that. It's just they got me, uh, I'm kind of confused on the, and then and then you have the Sushi. Yeah, the Sushi Showdown is 10 races within uh, the ARCA Menard Series. Uh, that the drivers can win a have a second chance at a championship, uh, and uh, that that's a ten race uh, series. So they have nine races in the books. They have one more race to go, and uh, uh, you know that's coming up here fairly soon. But let's go ahead, Jay or Sal, and go to the uh, Winchester race because that race was actually won by Ty Gibbs. Uh, so the guys, the guys in this Arkham Menard Series raced on, and the Arkham Menard Series East, they raced on Thursday night. Then they turned around and went to Indy at Bristol. Then they went to Indiana and raced again at Winchester on Saturday. Uh, so Ty Gibbs, the winner there, 
Uh, and uh, Michael Phelps finished second, just one spot ahead of his championship rival, uh, Brett Holmes. And then uh, uh, Jesse Love finished in that fourth place. And uh, Taylor Gray rounded out the top five drivers in that uh, series. Now, the next five drivers were Drew Dollar. Uh, the next five drivers were Drew Dollar, Mike Basham, Eric Cadell, Brad <coughs> and Tom Nicolopoulos. So uh, that was uh, pretty exciting to see. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that race – no, that one we didn't get to see. We got, I got to see the other one, the one from Bristol. We got to Dave's uh, – it was out here in um, out here in California. We got to watch it. The Winchester one we didn't get to see. Oh, okay. Well, uh, you were talking about the Sioux Chief Showdown, and I was telling you that they've got one more race to put into the book to determine who the champion is going to be for that Sioux Chief Showdown. They've got um, that finale is going to be at Memphis International Speedway on Saturday, September the 26th. For the Suchi Power Packs 200, and uh, Gibbs now trails Sam Mayer by just six points in that series. So that's going to be pretty exciting to watch uh, at Memphis International Speedway here uh, coming up on Saturday, September the 26th. That's going to be their finale. So. Yeah, that's going to be an exciting race, especially when you're talking about six points. Um, I don't know how the point breakdown is, you know, for, you know, each, each position, but I know six points isn't, you know, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good, uh, a good race. Yep. It was uh, Gibbs uh, fifth Arkham and Art Series win this season. Plus it counts as an Arkham and Art Series East victory as well in 16 starts over the both series. So, uh, and talking about that, let's look at the standings. Uh, we'll we'll go first to the Arkham Menard Series point standings. I don't know. Do you have access to this stuff, Sal? To which which uh, to which one? Huh? Point standings. Arkham Menard. To the one that was at Bristol. Standings. The one at Bristol, Winchester, right? After Winchester. Okay, which one are you? Um, I have both of them. Are you looking at Winchester or are you working at Thunder Valley? I'm looking at Winchester. I'm looking at the Arkham and Art Series point standings for 2020 after the okay. Winchester race. All right. So then on that, we got, um, let's see, it's coming up here real quick. Okay, let me just, I'm sorry, I'm driving to work, so I'm having to. Okay, so on that, we okay, got Michael well, let yeah, okay. Is that the one with Michael Self leading That's the points? The one. Okay, mm-hmm, yeah, so Michael Self over... by three three points. He retook the points lead because I know he had lost it for a couple weeks. And then um, second, we got he Brent Holmes. Third is uh, Haley Deegan. Fourth is Drew Dollar. And rounding out the top five is Ty Gibbs. Yeah, what's amazing there, Sal, is that Ty Gibbs has 13 of the 17 races in the books, and he's still fifth in the points. That's amazing. It is amazing because of when you start looking down, well, actually anywhere down besides six, in six places, Brett Smith, who has 16, 16 races in, but then the other ones all have less. But then you go down 
the seventh is Sam Sam Mayer with uh with uh sitting in seventh place with five wins. And then you go down to Thad Moffitt in eighth, Chandler Smith in ninth, and rounding out the top ten is uh Mike Basham is a is a top ten in the in the points for the uh for the point standings this season. Yeah, Sam Mayer's been amazing. He's got those five wins in just 12 starts in the Arkham and Art Series. So, yeah, it, it really is incredible. But the real battle here uh, is between those top two drivers, Michael Self and Brett Holmes. Like you said, they've kind of been going back and forth over the last couple of weeks. Michael Self held on to that lead most of the season, but Brett Holmes is uh, knocking on that door. Yeah, yeah, he is. You know, it's, 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 um, you know, then once again, you know, it goes back to, you know, what happened if Ty Gibbs and Sam Mayer had run the whole season, you know, where, where were the yeah. points, you know, be, um, you know, I'm sure Michael Self and, uh, and, uh, Brett Holmes would probably be fighting with Haney Deegan for third, for the third spot. Because I'm sure, I'm sure those two, but either way, you know what, it, it's, it's been a good season and, and Michael Self and, Brett Holmes have kept it interesting, you know, going back and forth fighting for that, for that championship. You know, Lisa isn't a, you know, one driver that's just basically dominating, just, you know, said, you know, took it over and, you know, and, and just is basically a cruise control. They both have to fight week after week, you know, for those points. Exactly. Now, uh, looking at the Arkham and Art Series East, They've had an amazing season with this COVID pandemic. Right now, they only have five races in the books. Uh, they've got some races that are coming up here, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, only five races in the book so far this season, uh, and they'll be winding up their series uh, fairly soon as well. Uh, now, at the top of the list here is Sam Mayer, uh, and he's leading by 26 points over Ty Gibbs in the East. Uh, in third place is Nick Sanchez with Reb Racing, Mason Diaz in fourth place, and in fifth place is Parker Retzlaff. Uh, all of those drivers have five races in the books. Kate Cabray and Justin Carroll in sixth and seventh also have five races in the books. But starting with eighth place, uh, uh, Max McLaughlin and Taylor Gray in eighth and ninth only have four races. And Brett Holmes in 10th place only has three races and still running 10th place in this Arkham and Art Series East. Yeah, it's crazy. It's tough. It's, this pandemic has really shaken up a lot of, you know, the stats, you know, as far as, you know, um, you know, standing and stuff like that, you know, and, and uh, you know, with the, you know, races being canceled, you know, drivers, you know, kind of preparing themselves for certain tracks that they like. And also those tracks are taken off mm-hmm. the schedule and, you know, without the without the practice and qualifying, you know what we we've seen, you know, you know we you know we've seen kind of like you know certain teams that can just kind of how do you say it they they use uh data from you know previous years, you know, and hope you know that it works, you know, because like I said, you're you just going out for the race, you don't even get any you know chance to adjust the car, so you have to adjust the car during that first uh during that first um. Uh, segment during that first caution period yeah yeah it's so true uh we were talking a little bit about sam mayer i kind of want to go over his stats here in the arkham and art series east uh he has a star average starting position of 2.4 
and an average finishing position foul of 1.2. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. You know, it just you know it just shows the talent in, in this in the young bunch coming up. You know, and, and what they what they're capable of. Um, you know, and it, it seems like like we've had years, you know, where we've seen you know drivers, you know, that have dominated, you know, that the East Series. Then we've had the years, you know, where you've had you know two or three drivers, you know, who have, who have just really you know come in, you know, coming to their own. But Sam Mayer, you know, he 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 uh, he has a lot of seat time, you know what, and uh, and he just he's just one of those amazing talents, you know, coming up, you know, you know we're going to see a lot of him. Yes, we are. We are going to see a lot of them in the in the future, without a doubt. I think uh, there's a couple of future stars on the rise here. If you go down to Ty Gibbs in second place, his stats are not shabby. He has an average starting position of 2.6 and an average finishing position of 4.2. So I definitely look for both of these guys to be uh, uh, future stars within NASCAR's top three. Uh, probably very soon. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure you know they're going to start you know looking at them you know, you know taking you know a really good look at these drivers you know what and and especially you know when it comes to uh, you know some of the other drivers you know that are going to be moving up too you know from the other series you know so you know somebody have to take the seat and you know we got a really good crop of young drivers you know that are showing a lot of talent they're showing a lot of professionalism on the track. You know what, and they're showing that they get the job done. They definitely are. Now, we mentioned earlier that Sam Mayer also won the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. Uh, So I'm going to move right into the Truck Series review here, Sal. It was the 23rd Annual UNOH 200 presented by Ohio Logistics uh, with 17-year-old Sam Mayer uh, in the number 24 Armor Guard Chevrolet with GMS Racing and crew chief Charles Zanike. Uh He won his first victory in just seven truck series starts. It's his first victory and second top ten finish this season and his first victory and first top ten finish in two races at Motor Speedway. Brett Moffitt. Uh, a, a truck series champion posted his third top 10 finish in four races at Bristol, and it is his 12th top 10 finish this year. Kenner Gray, a rookie, finished third, posting his first top 10 finish in his actual series debut at Bristol Motor Speedway. Kenner Gray, third, was the highest finishing rookie of the race, uh, and Sam Mayer becomes the second youngest winner in the Gander Truck Series history at the age of 17 years, two months, and 22 days behind the youngest driver in Truck Series history, Cole Custer, who on September 20th of 2014, at the age of 16 years, seven months, and 28 days, became the youngest winner in the Truck Series. Uh, Sam Mayer becomes the youngest winner at Bristol Motor Speedway at 17 years, two months, and 22 days taking the previous youngest winner, Brian Blaney, who at the age of 21 years, four months, and 19 days, was the young, previous youngest winner on August 19th of 2015. Mayer also becomes the fifth different first-time winner in the Truck Series at Bristol, joining Joe Rutman in 95, Rick Corelli in 96, 
Brad Keselowski in 2014, and Ben Kennedy in 2016, all first-time winners at Bristol. Uh, it's also Chevrolet's 10th victory in the truck series at Bristol Motor Speedway. So Chevrolet uh, having a lot of success in that series. Looking at the rest of the top 10 here, uh, it was Parker Kligerman uh, finishing in fourth place and Chandler Smith finishing in fifth place. The next uh, five drivers were Grant Infinger, Tyler Ankrum, Ross Chastain, Johnny Sauter with a top 10 finish, and Matt Crafton rounding out the top 10. So uh, Sam Mayer beat some pretty heavy-duty drivers here. Uh, in the truck series. Yeah, he did, and then especially the track he did it at. You know, they you know you can talk about Bristol. You know, you know it being Bristol. You know, a, a short track. You know, it's been known for, you know, for some you know really good hard you know hard nose racing. You know, and uh, I mean, and he I mean he went out there, he got the you know, job done, and there was a lot of uh, you know it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't an easy win. You know, like like you know with, with most of you know. When you get like to the super speedways and you know some of the big intermediate tracks, you know where they get to race more spread out. This was more of a, you know, more of like a contact racing track. Yeah, it really is. Uh, now, winning the first stage was Brett Moffat, and the second stage was won by Tyler Ankrum. There were five caution flags for 41 laps and four lead changes among just three drivers. So. Uh, uh, the margin of victory in this race, let me see if I can see that, because usually they have it right up here, with 4.413 seconds. So it was a pretty commanding lead uh, for Sam Mayer to win this race. Yeah, you know, and actually they were talking about Tyler Ankrum. He was really the fastest driver on the track. But then uh, after the second stage, after he won the stage, he didn't pit. He stayed out, and they're wondering why he didn't come in and pit. And I guess him and his spotter were going back and forth right. on the radio, which is they said, which is the time when usually you know the crew chief talks to the driver, and he missed this pit. So when he finally came in a pit, you know he lost all those positions. But um, yeah, you know all in all, you know what? I mean, it was a it was a good thing for Sam Mayer. Then just a little side note too. I guess they made the announcement that they're going to go back to the Camping World from Gander next season. Yes, yes, it's going to return to the Camping World Truck Series next year. Uh, that was an announcement made by uh, Mr. Lamonis and uh, NASCAR recently uh, that next year's Truck Series will be back again to the Camping World Truck Series just when we got used to calling it the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. Now. <laughs> you know what, that, that was tough. Yes, I, I can say Campy World, Campy World, and then, you know, Gander, and then, you know, and then now it goes back to Campy World. But, you know what, that's that that's a good sign of the times, you know what, that, you know, there's still interest in the series. You know, you know, you know to have an old series sponsor, you know, come back, you don't want the series back like that. So, I mean, for NASCAR and the truck series, you know what, that's a, that's a really good, uh, that's a really good, um, good indication of where the series is headed. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you have the uh, points report ready, Sal? Yeah. Uh, point standings, the way they stand now, it's uh, Brett Moffitt still leading, Sheldon Creed in second, Zane Smith, which uh, which is the highest 
actually is the highest rookie right now in, in third in third spot. Brandon Finger fourth, and Tyler Aker rounds out the top five. And then from there, we go down to uh, sixth is uh, Matt Crafton, seventh is Ben Rhodes, eighth is Austin Hill, ninth is Christian Eckes, and, and rounding out the top ten is uh, Todd Gilliland. So those are so far top ten going to, you know, finish out this round to see who's going to make it, you know, into the next round. And, yes, and uh, just this on a was side the note, first Austin, rate. Yeah, just on a side note, right. Austin Hill, they were saying, you know, on, on how important it was for those for those uh, stage points, and I guess that's really mm-hmm. what, what kept Austin Hill in the. Cause they said if it had been for those points, he'd be way below Todd Gillen because of the issues that he had on, you know, on this last weekend's race. Yeah, he had 22 playoff points that helped him stay in that eighth place position. Uh, he dropped uh, he dropped considerably with the problems that he had at Bristol, uh, and uh, it, it really is important to have those stage points because he would be in a lot of trouble right now without those stage points. So uh, definitely a big deal uh, coming into this race. Uh, but Brett Moffat was able to hang on to that points lead by just eight points over Sheldon Creed after the first race in their first round. So uh, that's going to be interesting to watch as we move on to the next race. They'll be racing at Las Vegas this weekend, so. Yeah, and, and Brett, Brett is, looks like he's the he's one of the early early on favorites, you know, too, you know, to win to win this year's championship. Him and uh. I guess you can almost go to like Sheldon Creed, you know, as a top two, you know, but mm-hmm. you never know because you still got the crafty Matt Crafton, the crafty veteran, you know, who who knows how to get it done. <laughs> he, he showed it, he showed it last year in that last race, you know, at Homestead, yep. you know how to, you know, how how veteran, how, you know, how the old timers win championships. So, um, but yeah, Brett Moffat looks really, he looks really strong this season. He does look pretty strong. I will tell you that, you know, looking at the top five, they're separated by just 17 points uh, between uh, Brett Moffat, Sheldon Creed, Zane Smith, Grant Infinger, and Tyler Ankrum. So it's it's a pretty tight battle there. And like you said, Matt Crafton is is right there, 23 points back in sixth place. So uh, it's pretty tight after that first race. Uh, Let's go ahead and move on now to the Xfinity Series. Uh, The Xfinity Series race uh, took place on Friday night, and uh, the race winner here was Chase Briscoe. He's had an amazing season as well, and it seems like he's kind of coming back to his winning ways here. Uh, It was the 39th annual Food City 300 at uh, Bristol for the Xfinity Series. Chase Briscoe at the age of 25 in the number 98 Ford Performance Racing School Ford for Stuart Hawes Racing with his crew chief, Richard Boswell II. Now, he was his ninth victory in 76 Xfinity Series starts, his 18th top 10 finish this year, and his first victory in fourth top 10 finish in six races at Bristol. Ross Chastain finished second, posting his second top 10 finish in 11 races at Bristol and his 23rd top 10 finish this year. 
Austin Sendrick in third, posting his third top ten finish in six races at Bristol. Harrison Burton was the highest finishing rookie, finishing fourth. And Brandon Bilt Motorsports driver Brandon Brown clinches the 12th and final spot in the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs. This is Stuart House Racing's first NASCAR Xfinity Series victory at Bristol Motor Speedway, so that was a big deal. It was also Ford's 10th victory in the Xfinity Series at Bristol Motor Speedway. To round out the top 10 at Bristol, uh, you go to, we talked about Harrison Burton, Justin Allgaier rounds out the top five. Uh, in sixth through tenth, we have Anthony Alfredo, Noah Gregson, Brandon Jones, Jeb Burton, uh, finishing ninth with Riley Erbst, another rookie, rounding out the top ten. Your thoughts, Sal? Okay, I think Sal had to. Oh, oh, yeah. uh, no, 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 here oh, I am. Are you here? Okay. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, they're, they already started without me, so I really don't care. I mean, it's something we do every week, every day. Actually, we do it every day. But you know, there was a lot of talk about Riley Herbst this past weekend. You know, in the season he's been having in the Xfinity series, you know, a lot of the, uh, the commentators are talking about, you know, how well he's doing. But um, Chase Briscoe, man, that I'll tell you, him and between Austin, between him and Austin Cedric. They're having a, a really, a really good, um, you know, uh, Xfinity, you know, uh, battle back and forth, mm-hmm. you know, trying to grab those wins. You know, they, like you said, you know, he's doing Ross Chastain. Uh, but, I mean, Briscoe and Cedric, are, they just seem like, like they're just like the, the cream of the crop. Yes, indeed. Uh, they, they really have been. And Ross Chastain is coming on strong <clears throat> here in the playoffs. Uh, you know, this was, I think, the last race for the uh, Xfinity Series in their regular season, if I'm remembering this correctly. Uh, so yeah, Las Vegas will be their first race uh, in their first round. So that's going to be interesting. They talked about Brandon Brown clinching that 12th place. In 11th place, though, is Jeremy Clements. Uh, we should mention that. Uh, because these are the drivers that are going to move on in the um, in the playoffs. Ryan Sieg, this was not a good race for him. He dropped out of the top 12 uh, and ended up in 14th place. So uh, that was kind of sad for Ryan Sieg. Uh, Justin Algauer won the first two stages of this race. The margin of victory was pretty close, 0.0651 seconds. There were seven caution flags for 45 laps and 10 lead changes among just five drivers. So, uh, again, Harrison Burton also having uh, a very consistent season uh, being the highest finishing rookie in this particular race. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the series point standings. Okay, you don't look at the points, and it's funny because the way they added, they, they didn't do the um... – they didn't do the uh, the playoff the playoff points. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Did you notice that? Oh, and I said, I mean, you, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I have to take back what you, I was saying. I said Jeremy Clements yeah, was in the eleventh place. He was the eleventh place in the race, but Ryan Sieg is the yeah. driver that made it into the playoffs. Yeah, the, exactly. I, I yeah, things there. Yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking I, I I know Ryan Sieg made it because they talked about it after the race, 
And then I and then when yeah, I went and looked back, up. but still, yeah, but still, you know, usually they reset the points. They have reset the points in our in our stat sheet. They didn't reset the You're points. Right, All they, they did was did they not. Yeah, because so uh, what you can, if you, uh, you know what, Jared, I'm, I'm, we can look at that. Well, I'm, I'm just going to read it the way it is because actually the way it is is the way it's going to be anyways. Because Jeremy Clements didn't, he there was no way he was going to catch um, uh, Brandon Brown anyways to catch that tall spot. He was too he had he was too many points out. So I mean, we'll, we'll, if you want, we'll just use what we have here. Because okay. I I I, I so can't go ahead and yeah because I it. okay yeah so anyways what I have here is uh okay we got um Austin Cedric in first Chase Briscoe in second Ross Chastain in third um, Noah Greggs in fourth and Justin Algar rounds out the top would round out the top five and uh, and then from there then we would go down to uh, Justin Haley in sixth. Harrison Burton, 7th, Brandon Jones in 8th, Michael Annette, 9th, Riley Herbst in 10th, Ryan C. 11th, and Brandon Brown would round out the top 12, you know, going into the going to the playoffs. But when you look at the playoff points, oh, my gosh, Chase Briscoe has 40 playoff points. So when the points are – when they are reset, man, Brandon Brown and Ryan C. are going to be like 40 points already out of – you know, in the bad, in the red. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Sal, I got distracted there. So, yeah, uh, okay. Jenny Clements uh, is on the outside looking in there in the series point standings. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah. Okay, here I. Okay. Here it goes. It, it pulled up now. It's pulling up. Okay. I guess it's not. I have have a bad signal out here where I'm at. I mean, I'm at a a university, and they have, like, the worst signal. Okay, I'm going to pull it up, the the re-ranking here. uh, Okay, here it is. uh, I got it, Sharon. You got it? I got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so it's it's – okay, so now – okay, here we go. So uh, Chase Briscoe is, is, is leading the points. Austin Cedric in second, Justin Allgaier in third, Noah Gregson in fourth, and Brandon Jones round out the top five. And then we got Justin Haley, Harrison Burton in seventh, Ross Chastain in eighth, Ryan Sieg in ninth, Michael Annette tenth, Riley Herbst eleventh, the twelve, which is which are the twelve that are going into the playoffs starting next week at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Yes, so that changes things a little bit when you look at the reseeding uh, of those drivers. Uh, it's Riley Erbst and Brandon Brown uh, that are below um, the line here for the uh, next round cutoff. I think it's only, is it four drivers or two drivers that drop off? Or it might be it's, three. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, no, I, no, it's not three. I think it is, I think you're right, Sharon. I think it is two that drops off. Okay, so Riley Erbson and Brandon Brown are the ones that are below that cut line uh, for the next round uh, of drivers. And uh, the points, if you look at the points, actually Austin Sindrick and Chase Briscoe are virtually tied uh, in points, which makes it interesting as well because 
you've got both of them at 2,050 points uh, in 26 starts. Uh, Cindric actually has 10 stage wins compared to uh, Chase Briscoe's five, but uh, uh, it, it really is amazing that these guys are going in to their playoffs virtually tied. Yeah, it is. You don't want to, what's even, like I said, what's even more amazing is Riley Herbst and Brandon Brown are 48 points, you know, already in the red, you know, going, going into the, you know, going into um, Vegas race, you know, so they really need, I mean, they really need it to have a good, actually Chastain, Sieg, Annette, and Herbst really need a good finish, you know, you know, to start out the, you know, to start out their chase because all the other series have already started, but to start out their chase, you know, to, you know, talk to advance because they're, they're, um, they're four, 40 points out, you know, and that's, that's a, that's not a point, you know, yeah. when you start thinking about, you know, you know, the series, I mean, holy moly. Well, exactly. Now the drivers that are, there are only, uh, what, seven drivers that have won a race in this group. Uh, and Her- it, those drivers with two wins include Justin Haley and Harrison Burton uh, and Noah Gregson. Uh, drivers with three wins are Justin Algauer, uh, Brandon Jones, and then you're talking about the top two with five wins with Austin Cindric and seven wins for Chase Frisco. Uh, the, all the other drivers have not yet won. So those drivers that you just mentioned, Sal, they all are looking to get that victory at uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, uh, especially if we consider the races that are next on the schedule. And we know how good uh, 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 Chase Briscoe is on that Charlotte Roval, and Talladega is going to be kind of a, uh, a wild card in this uh, round. Exactly. You know, they, they almost do need a win in order to, you know, it's hard, it's sad to say, but they – the bottom four actually need a win, you know, in order to have a, you know, well, they'll, they'll advance with the win. They're going to advance, but I mean, that's really what they're looking at. It's not a, it's not a matter of finishing second, third, fourth, or fifth. It's a matter of getting that W because um, with the races coming up and the, and the point, the way the points are sitting now, they're, they're, um, you know, the, the win is probably the only, it has to be the only thing on their mind. Exactly. So this race at Las Vegas, I think, is really going to be a wild one in this Xfinity series. Uh, One thing I've noticed about this Xfinity series is, you know, in the Cup series, these guys are really, really uh, experts, I think, in the Cup series in how they're competing in these playoffs. Where You know, we saw uh, Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch run a really clean race in this Xfinity, in the Cup Series, but in the Xfinity Series, where these guys are all young and they don't have that playoff experience, there's a lot more bumping and banging and intensity that we see on that track, and uh, they don't quite have that finesse that we see in the Cup Series. Oh no, they don't. I mean, they're just banging, you know, bashing and banging, just like the Truck Series. You know what? Um, you know, and, and that's why it kind of makes you wonder how Chastain's going to do next season, you know, in the 42 car, you know, with, with, with the way he's aggressive, you know, with his teammates. You know, um, you know, he's mm-hmm. been Bush as his teammate next season. You know, I don't like that, you know, and I wonder how 
30 to Chastain because his last few races have been, you know, to try to get that package. So you kind of wonder, you know, you know how we yeah, Sal, we're just getting little bits and pieces like every other word there, but I think I know what you're talking about. And I'm just yeah. going to say that, that my thoughts on that are that in the, um, in the Cup Series, I think that these drivers have an appreciation for uh, the environment in which the Cup Series is, all of these series are driving in right now when you think about it from an economic perspective. They understand you can't afford to go out there and just wreck these cars. I think that's a learning curve for these truck series guys and these Xfinity series guys and something that they're going to learn as they develop. We're in a different economic times right now, and taking care of the equipment is really, really important. You can't go out there and just wreck the car or the truck or whatever. Yeah, and that's true, sure. You brought guys up. recognize that. You know, that's a very, very good point. I'm sure that's a lot of, a lot of things that a lot of the fans don't realize is what you just talked about, you know, the economic impact on it, you know what, and, and you know, and the mentality that goes into it. You know, that was a very good, a very good point you brought up there. You know, I didn't even think about it myself. You know, I mean, I thought about it, but not really to the point, you know, to where, you know, you, you know, you just, you know, really hammered it in and said, you know, you know, everything changes, you know, all the way from, you know, the way they approach the race, you know, to the way they just approach the whole season, you know, and, and knowing, you know, that the, you know, but that, was a, that was a really good point you brought up. Uh, thank you, Sal. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and get into the uh, Cup Series here. Uh, the Bristol Motor Speedway 60th Annual Bass Pro Shops uh, Night Race. And Kevin Harvick was the winner at the age of 44 in the number four Bushlight Ford for Stuart Hawes Racing and crew chief Rodney Childers. It was his 58th victory in 711 NASCAR Cup Series races. It, this is his single season career best ninth victory in 24th top 10 finish in the 2020 season. That's incredible, Sal. His uh, third victory and 20th top 10 finish in 40 races at Bristol Motor Speedway. Kyle Busch finishing second posted his 19th top 10 finish in 31 races at Bristol, and it is his 16th top 10 finish this season. Eric Jones finished third. Uh, That was his fourth top 10 finish in eight races at Bristol. Tyler Reddick in fourth was the highest finishing rookie, a great race for him. And this was Ford's 39th victory in the NASCAR Cup Series at Bristol. To round out the rest of the top uh, 10 drivers here at Bristol, you had uh, uh, Eric Almarola rounding out the top 10. Clint Boyer finished sixth. Chase Elliott in seventh place. Uh, Chris Buescher eighth. Ryan Priest in ninth. Good runs for both of those drivers. And Michael McDowell rounds out the top 10 at Bristol Motor Speedway. Yeah, that's something about Bristol. You know, it just brings out, you know, you know, the, the short track, you know, kind of like in a sense, well, you know, the, the, it seems like the short track drivers, you know, they kind of shine a little bit more, you know, than the rest. But, I mean, Kevin Harvick, man, he, he's in his own he's in his own world this season. He's on a different planet. I mean, he's <laughs> not even – I mean, I don't even think he realizes he's racing NASCAR. I mean, he's just – 
He is. He's in he's, his zone. I mean, yeah, he's in his zone, and um, you know, and and gosh, it seems like you know, you hope you know that it doesn't, you know. I mean, like they say, you know what? In the last, you know, the last ten for the championship, you know, there's always that one mulligan. You know what? It seems like it's it's. Is Harvard going to have? Is he going to need that mulligan? Because he is just—he's just been strong the whole season. He has been. It's—it's it's almost. Uh, I think he's going to clinch this thing early. Almost. Yeah. I mean, it's—it's it's just incredible. Uh, we'll see in the points how how amazing he—he uh, he is right now in the series point standings. But the margin of victory in this race was just three points, three one seconds. And uh, it was Chase Elliott winning the first stage. Kyle Busch won the second stage. There were five uh, caution flags for 50 laps and 14 lead changes on eight drivers. Uh, so really, really uh, uh, amazing. Scott, uh, Brad Keselowski started on the pole, but he ended up finishing uh, uh, in 34th place. Uh and uh, he, he, it was not his day at Bristol Motor Speedway yesterday, although he, he was looking good early in the race. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a good, you know, a, a really good race, you know, all the way around. And, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the battle between um, Kevin and, and Kyle at the end, you know, really, you know, capped it off. But, I mean, you know, with, you know, you start looking up and down, you know, at the, at the finishing order, you know, the different drivers that were in there, you know, and, and uh you know, uh, props to uh, Tyler Reddick, you know, for getting that fourth place finish, you know, being the highest finishing rookie, you know, was big. And Absolutely. Just, just the race. Especially at a track know, just, like Bristol. Yeah, track like Bristol. And, you know, and, and, you know, you have to, you have to be a good driver, you know, in order to finish good there, you know, because you have to know how to take care of your car. You have to know when to stay out of trouble, you know what, and, and just save, you know, what equipment you do have, have, you know, for the end. You know, because that track does eat its equipment. You know what? And, and um, you know, Eric Jones finishing third. You know, really looking. You know, you know, see where he's going to end up next season. You know, and and having those good finishes. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, I mean, it's like we said earlier. We already know where one driver is going, but you know, everybody's wondering. You know what? You know what's going to happen? You know, with the rest of the, you know, the, you know, actually two drivers because we know where Bubba Wallace and um and Chase Ross Chastain yeah. are going, but. You know what's going to happen. You know with Daniel Suarez and what's going to happen with the 48 team. What's going to happen? You know with some other, you know drivers. You know Eric Jones especially. I mean, I that sure and I I have the feeling he's going to end up in that 48 car for some reason. Who? Eric Jones. Oh, okay. That would be that would be really cool if it happens. Okay, now yeah. this was an elimination race, Sal at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway for the NASCAR Cup Series. So let's take a look at the points report and how it looks for the round of 12. Okay, uh, points. Uh, points, we got Kevin Harvick uh, still leading the points. Denny Hamlin in second, Brad Kozlowski in third. Um, Joy Legato fourth, and Chase Elliott rounds out the top five. And then from there, then we went down to Martin Church Jr., Alex Bowman, Austin Dillon, Eric Almarola and Kyle Busch run up the top ten, and then from there, then we go down to uh, uh, Tim Boyer, Kurt Busch, Cole Custer, William Byron, and Ryan Blaney and Matt D. D. Benedetto. 
you know, round out the top 16. But like you said, it was an elimination round. And, you know, I mean, when you when you come in with 67 playoff points, <laughs> you know what? You 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 know you've already eliminated the top four guys that just that quick and you know once again you know what it was a it was a heartbreak season you know for um you know for uh for Cole Custer who we were following you know for a long time now and uh, you know yep. it's um it's sad that he got eliminated but you know what being the only rookie no, in the, no in I was the, so sad for him you know and the thing you know it, it made for a good um. Made for a good series. I mean, he 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 can he can go out with his head held high because he was the only rookie that made the chase. He got he got a, plus he got a win. Plus he got a win. You know what? He didn't get in on points. He got in up because of a win. You know what? And, and um, you know, and and I'm wasn't sure you know there's win, so. it wasn't. <laughs> he battled for that win, and and you know what? And he's he's gonna he's gonna take all this into next season. He's got a lot to look forward to next season. I I just have to imagine if we had practice and qualifying, how well Tyler Reddick would have done more better. Even you know, probably Cole Custer, Chris Bell. You know what I mean? You know, Kevin Harvick. I mean, what would have would have he ended up with? You know, you know, with uh, breaking the record on on wins in one season. You know, <laughs> because I mean, if, if you get yep. this guy practice and qualifying, who knows how much more stronger Kevin Harvick could have been. That team was. That team exactly. Was. Exactly. I my heart went out to all of those guys below the cutoff line because I think they all made a valiant effort. Um, it, it just wasn't in the cards. Cole Custer said they never really got the car adjusted to where it needed to be for him to compete. Uh, William Byron was there but ran into some problems. Uh, Ryan Blaney kind of came and faded, and same with Matt Cabinadetto. Uh But all of those guys really put in, I think, a valiant effort, and I don't think any of them have anything to hang their head about. Uh, all of those guys should be proud of their efforts uh, this season. You know, and, 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 and you throw in a few, a few playoff points, you know, what in the advance, you know, Kyle Bush, you know, I mean, gosh, what a what a what a heartbreak of a horrible season he's having this season, you know what? And, and he managed, you know, to make it, you know, into the next round. But, um, you know, he... Now, he says he's going to be eliminated in the next round, Sal. What do you think? I, you know what? I mean, if, if he feels he's running that bad, you know what? I mean, what can you say? You know, I mean, who knows more than a driver himself? You know, um, he just, he, he knows they're not... He's getting the right beeping. Now. I, know. I don't know what uh, that beeping noise uh, is, though. It's the guy, the guy backing up, looking at me. He wants me to move my car, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm in my parking spot in my construction zone, so I rolled up the window, so he's done beeping. But anyways, yeah, Kyle Busch, who would know more than Kyle Busch himself? He just, you know what? I just think he lost all confidence this season. You know, he's he knows he's done. He, I mean, he's he's looking at Kevin well, Harvick. I think what he's happened, having. Sal. I my thought on that is that I think. Uh, and he has said this that not having practice has affected his team, and I think it. I think he's used that practice in the past to adjust his car for the races, and they haven't been able to make those same type, types of adjustments throughout the race to get him into the com- competition mode that he needs to be in. So I think it's the lack of practice and qualifying that's really hurt. Um, 
that's really hurt uh, uh, Kyle Busch this year. You know what, and, and they even talked about, you know, that, that Toyota just wasn't, you know, that they just haven't been that, that strong team this season. You know, they haven't been, you know, the team that they've been in the past. And like you said, Sharon, you know, without the without the practice, not so much the qualifying, but without the practice, you know, it's, you know, it's tough because, you know, you, you know, with practice, you know, they have, you know, three, four hours, you know, to work on the car and set it up, you know, trying different things, you know, when you, when you have to just unload a car and go out there and run like that, you know, especially, you know, Kyle Busch, you know, he's such a diverse driver, you know, sure. His talent is what got him where he's at right now in the series, you know, as far as where his standings are, but he knows talent can only take you so far. You you need the car to go with the talent. You know what? And, and it just happened that it just happened that Harvick, that the Ford, you know, they hit on whatever they hit on, you know, they hit on it early, you know, they hit on it, you know, during the off season or, you know, even coming in a race to race, you know, but they just happen, you know, to hit on a, you know, on a, on a, on a setup, you know, that only needed minor tweaking, you know, come the first um, competition, you know, caution, you know, just to make that little mm-hmm. slight, you know, slight uh, tweak on the car, you know, and, um, you know, that was it, you know, and, and that's where Kyle and them, you know, missed it because they probably bought a car that was probably not even close to be what they needed to be. And then when they make an adjustment, you know, are you going up on this adjustment or are you coming down? And, and that's kind of the difference, I think, between Harvick and, and and Kyle Busch because we know Kyle Busch, we know he can drive. He's a great talent. You know, he's an awesome driver. Yep. But, um, you know, when when you don't have that practice time, you know what, and, and, if, and if you don't unload close, you know, then then you're you're playing catch up, you know, and it's hard to play catch up against, you know, you know, uh, Kevin Harvick and, and even his own teammate. Yeah, even his own teammate Danny mm-hmm. Hamlin. You know, they they've tried his setups, but because their drive, driving styles are so much different, you know what? You know, you mm-hmm. you know, sure you can start with it, but or work with it, but but you know when you're when your driving styles are that much different, you know, it, it, it's hard to, uh, you know, it's hard to, um, you know, to get in a victory lane. Okay. Uh, Sal, we're coming up to the end of uh, the first hour here, and I know you have to you have to be going. So we've got a huge Hot Topic uh, sound off segment coming up here uh, with a full hour, but uh, it was really good to have you back in the co-host chair tonight, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, coming back and doing this again next Monday night. Yeah, we're just uh, – I mean – you know what, we just, I mean, this this job over here real quick was supposed to end. And, and they, they added on, you know, another, another I think another two months. So it's going to be, I just got to say it by ear, you know, week to week. But I'm trying to make it as often as I can. But it's just, you know, it's, it's frustrating because it's, it's working nights, you know, it's not working days. And, and um, you know, they, they just keep adding stuff on. And, and it's just, man, I, I just want to go back to to my day shift when I can come home and and have a iced tea and sit down be, behind my own desk and and do the show you know what and have my computer all set up and right in front of me instead of trying to do things off of a off of a cell phone. <laughs> I know, Sal. I appreciate you trying to make the best of a kind of a difficult situation here. Uh, and like I said, it was good to have you back. Uh, and uh, the fan for racing crew has been uh, really good at stepping in when you're not able to be here, uh, and uh, uh, I appreciate that as well. But, uh, Sal, just keep us posted, and, and we'll make the best of the situation, okay? 
Yeah, I just gotta thank I gotta thank all the guys that have that have come in and stepped in, you know, when I've been gone, you know, and I know it's hard, you know, and, and you know, I just wanna thank all you guys, you know what, you were like one big family here, you know what, and it's it's it makes it easier for me, you know, and I know, you know, if I can't make it, you know, one of you guys is gonna step up, you know what, and get the job done and, and I just wanna tell you guys that I, I do notice and um and uh I do appreciate it. So um with that, Thank you know, you, you guys Carol. have a good show. I know you guys got a sh- good show coming up. I'll be in Roseville this week with the SRL series. Hopefully, I'll get Derek Thorne on. But uh, working on a big story about Mike Keen, Derek's crew chief. Finally, after six, seven writers have been trying to get a story from him, of course, I talked him into it. So um, I'll be working on that for for the following week, next week, and um, it'll probably be picked up by Speed Fifty One, the story and everything. So it's going to be huge. I mean, okay. finally. After yeah, 20 years, you Mike. Put it on fan for racing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I'm gonna do fan for racing first, and then from there, then I, then um, Kevin Peters is gonna have Speed 51 put up. But it's gonna be a huge story about Mike Keen, um, Derek Thorne's crew chief, who's who doesn't talk, who doesn't say nothing. So, um, <laughs> fi- finally okay. got him after working with him for like eight years. Finally got him to do something. So, other than that, you guys have a good weekend. Have Thank a good uh, a good day and a good show, and uh, we'll talk to you guys hopefully next week. Okay, thanks, Al. Uh, take okay, care, good night. and we'll see you next week. Good night. All right, good night. Good night. All right, uh, we're a little overdue here, but it is now time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and with a couple of the guys will be here with us tonight. Jay, unfortunately, is not here, but we do have our co-host, Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Boy, Jay, takes not a very good night to not be here. <laughs> I'm happy to be on. Uh, Sharon, Sharon, if you didn't just check the group chat, you might want to check the the bomb that Mike just dropped like 10 seconds ago. So anyways, um, really excited to be here. I'm sure Mike is too. I know you are, Sharon. So much to talk about. Uh, Pretty big day. So pretty excited to be on tonight. Ah, okay. Uh, And then you mentioned Mike. Mike is also here. Uh, welcome to the Hello. show, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. This is uh, this has been quite the buildup we've had today, so this should be a pretty good show. Oh here. my God! <laughs> uh, yes, it has. Uh, we've had just during the show since the show has started. I think there's been three really big things that have come out on Twitter. Uh, for us to talk about tonight. But, Andy, you're the co-host, so we're going to start with you and uh, what you're going to bring up as the first hot topic here tonight. Well, I'm actually going to start out with the big one from this morning, which I thought was going to be the big news of the day. Boy, was I wrong. But nonetheless, we'll start out with this one. (laughs) Ross Chastain officially announced as the driver of the number 42 Chevrolet for Chip Ganassi Racing in 2021. All right, so Ross Chastain to the number 42. What are your thoughts? I was really happy to see this. Um, We've known for a while that Ross has kind of been under contract with Chip Ganassi, but we really didn't know where it was going to go. Remember back a few years ago, 
Uh, Chip had signed Ross to drive for his Xfinity Series team, and unfortunately, due to circumstances outside of both Ross and Chip's control, namely some scumbag kind of criminal behavior from a sponsor, that opportunity ended up falling apart, and Ross had to go uh, drive for Nice Motorsports in the Truck Series that year. Um, And the good thing here, the kind of real heartwarming one on this one is, Unfortunately, in today's NASCAR world, loyalty tends to only extend about as far as the last check that cleared. So seeing uh, Chip kind of make good with Ross as far as the agreement that they had in the past and the contract that they had in getting Ross into the 42 car, that was really, really good to see. And I look forward to seeing Ross in what should be a very competitive 42 car next year. Do we lose Sharon again? I'm here. Uh, Can you hear me? Yeah, we got. I hear you. Okay, I lost you for a second there too. Okay, uh, I didn't catch that last little part that you said. Well, I was just saying I I do look forward to seeing Ross in what should be a very competitive 42 car next year for Chip Ganassi Racing. Okay, Uh, I agree. I think this was a good move. Uh, I'm proud of Chip Ganassi Racing for following through with their commitment to Ross Chastain. Uh, I think it's going to be a great developmental move uh, for Ross Chastain. Uh, Sal and I were just kind of talking about this a little bit. Um, You know, Ross is a very aggressive driver. And one of the things that I've noticed between the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series is the Cup Series drivers seem to have a greater appreciation for uh, the economic times, if you will, uh, during this COVID pandemic and the need to really take care of the cars. We saw that between um, uh, Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick uh, at that Bristol race. And, but the Xfinity Series guys, some of them, I don't think they've caught on yet that they've really got to take care of their equipment uh, for their future. So I, I think this is going to be a great developmental move from that perspective for Ross Chastain. And uh, coming with a team like uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, uh, I think he's still going to have that drive to go out there and win. But part of his development uh, with Chip Ganassi Racing, I think, in this uh, uh, coming season will be being aggressive without tearing up the equipment. So I I think this is going to be a really good move for Ross Chastain. So, Andy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, really good news for him. I think that when you look at the, the free agent market right now in the Cup Series, um, despite the fact that Ross had developed a relationship with Chip Ganassi Racing, I think there was a really strong likelihood that, that someone else was going to step in that car. Bubba Wallace had previously been rumored um, to get in that car. And, uh, you know, you have Eric Jones out in the market right now. When you look at some of these existing Cup drivers that are going to be free agents for next year, it really – I felt like lended itself to someone along those lines getting into the car. But, um, you know, like Mike said, really happy to see Ross get the opportunity. You know, the thing, the thing that a lot of fans may not realize is Ross has been around for quite a few years and has really had to work his way up from nothing. Um, Kind of an old school blue collar driver, if you will, which we don't see a Mm -hmm. lot of in this day and age. And, you know, he's had to drive lesser tier equipment for years, just, you know, he'll pretty much race anything just to stay relevant and stay on the racetrack. And it finally paid off in the form of 
some competitive Xfinity rides, you know, a couple of years ago, I think he ran three races for, for chip and won one of those races and, and ran really well. And that's what, you know, helped develop that relationship. And, you know, last year was a tough year, supposed to drive the full season, you know, for chip Ganassi racing. And that, as we know, fell through, and he went on to, you know, have a successful year in the truck series, won three races, finished uh, second in the points last year, and, you know, has been really good in the Colleague 10 car this year. I know they haven't won yet, but they have been arguably the most consistent team when you look at top 10s and, and their points position. So he's had a good mm-hmm. year. He's finally showcasing his talents in, in good equipment, and it's it's awesome to see him get this opportunity because, like I said, you know, I think you could have argued several of the current Cup Series free agents to get that car, but it's good to see him get the opportunity and be brought up from the Xfinity Series. I expect that he will, um, I think he'll be successful in that car. I think that there may be some growing pains, but he's a real talent, and I, I, it's nice to see Chip Ganassi make good in his word, and it's it's good to see a young guy like that finally get the big break that they all dream of. So, um, pretty cool news and, and certainly deserving of that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, your follow-up? Yeah, I was. I had actually gotten kind of worried that Ross had maybe hurt his stock a little bit this year. Um, he's He's been very quiet, at least for, as far as Ross Chastain is concerned. Um, he hasn't won any races in the Xfinity Series, and we all know Chip likes to make it no secret. He likes winners. And Ross has not won mm-hmm. any races this year. It made me kind of worried that uh, that that was going to negatively affect his chances of going into a Chip Ganassi Cup car. But it's good to see that that's not what uh, that's not the case. I wish Ross the very best. Hopefully, he can uh, he can make a good championship run in that Colleague Racing Ten car because Matt Colleague is another really good person who has brought a lot to the Xfinity Series in terms of resources and developing three weekly competitive cars. So great for Matt Colleague. I really hope he's able to make a good championship run with Ross Chastain before Ross moves into the Cup Series full time. Hey, absolutely, I, I I agree with you, Mike. I think that uh, uh, Ross uh, has been really really consistent this year. Uh, I think he'll he'll be great in that number forty two car next season, and just like I think he's helped develop. I think Colleg Racing, along with Justin uh, Haley, who's been in that team, and uh, uh, the other, the, the third driver, uh, AJ Allmendinger, I, I really think that uh, he's going to be a great addition uh, to uh, Chip Ganassi Racing for next season. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think I think it's going to be fun to watch Ross Chastain in that number 42 in 2021. So Andy, your final thoughts. Yeah, no, no real follow up on this one. I just, um, just, just glad that, you know, he he gets this opportunity, and um, you know, I think it's what he's been working for for several years now. So, uh, cool to see, and, and certainly looking forward to seeing what he's going to be able to do with it next year. Okay, Mike, I'm really curious now. <laughs> I want to see what next topic you're going to bring up. Well, I mean, I guess we could just go chronologically from when they started breaking around sunrise this morning. Uh, So the Ross Chastain story broke early this morning, I don't know, 8 o'clock, something like that. By about 10 o'clock or noon, we heard the next big story. Texas Motor Speedway is losing a points race in the 2021 season. They will take the all-star race for 2021, but 
that second points-paying Texas race will be moving to Circuit of the Americas for the 2021 season. Now, this is not necessarily all confirmed, but it all kind of fits nicely in terms of alignment with what NASCAR wants to do in terms of developing the market in Texas, the state of Texas broadly, and potentially partnering with Formula One. They haven't announced a, a, a race date yet. Uh, for the Coda race, but we do know Formula Run runs at Coda around the same time the fall Texas NASCAR race was running. So potentially big moves in the 2021 season regarding Texas Motor Speedway. Andy, your thoughts? Mike, congratulations on NASCAR listening to you because I think you pretty much said that you wanted to see this a few weeks ago. So, um, yeah, this is, this is exciting news. I feel like, you know, um, you know, and Texas Motor Speedway still obviously has a big part in the schedule. They'll retain a points race. They, they now get the all-star race. Um, found that to be a, a little bit of an intriguing move. But I think the bigger news certainly is the fact that the Cup Series will race at Circuit of the Americas next year. And I'm I'm all for it. I like road course racing. And I, it's a state-of-the-art facility. It's pretty new. And I think that um, they certainly have – you know, a place in, in the future for the cup series and NASCAR in general. So um, really, really exciting news. Uh, Austin's a pretty cool city. It's a, it's a unique market um, for NASCAR, a place they've never been before. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see uh, a new, a new track on the schedule. I think fans have been looking to see some changes, you know, to a, to a schedule that has overall been pretty much the same for the last 20 years. I know this year we saw some tweaks to that schedule, but we're finally going to see, I think, some new venues. Maybe not a lot, but at least a few new venues next year. And um, this one, this was one that I thought would be really cool to see happen, but I didn't think it would happen, truthfully. So the fact that it is going to, to take place is um, certainly really, really cool, and I hope that uh, – they they put on a good race there next year. Like I said, road courses have been some of the better races I feel like in recent years, and um, you know certainly this is uh, this is going to be one that people will be looking to pay attention to next year. So exciting news, and like I said, I, I don't really think that it comes at a huge expense to Texas Motor Speedway in light of the fact that they will gain the All Star race. Um, if there's not to be a negative Nancy by any means, but if there's one negative thing about this, in my own opinion, it would be the fact the all-star race moved from a mile and a half to a mile and a half. I know they ran Bristol this year, but that was an anomaly. So, um, but uh, aside from that, I think it's all positive news. I think it's definitely a step in the right direction schedule wise. And I think that going to circuit of the Americas is, is a, is a really good thing for NASCAR. Okay, I think you just answered my question, uh, uh, Andy, because I was wondering, uh, you said that they're eliminating two races at at Texas Motor Speedway. So the one race is the all-star race, and then the second race in Texas is actually at Circuit of the Americas. So I think I've got that clarified now in my mind. Um, No, so actually, um, actually, oh, sorry. No, so basically Texas Motor Speedway retains a points race and they get the all-star race. So they still technically oh, have two okay. races there. And then one of the points-paying races goes to Circuit of the Americas. So basically, in lieu of them losing a points race, they gain the all-star race in that absence. Gotcha. Okay, I gotcha. Thank you for that clarification, because I wasn't real clear on that. 
Okay, so there are two races at Texas Motor Speedway with the All-Star Race and a points-paying race, and then a third race in Texas, but the third race in Texas is at Circuit of the Americas. So I think that's fantastic. Uh, I I uh, have been looking forward to NASCAR coming to Circuit of the Americas and have been hopeful of that happening for quite some time. I know Kurt Busch has done some promotional racing uh, at Circuit of the Americas, and uh, and my son lives in Austin, so that gives me an opportunity to maybe go uh, to the Circuit of the Americas race uh, for the Cup Series, and I'm super, super excited about that. Uh, I've been at that facility. It's a fantastic facility. I think this is a huge move for NASCAR and uh, to be at that track. And uh, it's such a shame to see such a beautiful facility go unused uh, for for, uh, the NASCAR Cup Series. So uh, I, I hope that they bring with them the uh, Xfinity Series and maybe even the Truck Series to the Circuit of the Americas uh, because uh, I think it's a great facility and, and underutilized. And to see Cup coming in there, uh, I think it's going to be a big, big deal. Uh, and uh, the All-Star Race at Texas, uh, I like seeing them moved around. I think that's a great move as well. Uh, and uh, I know it's going from Charlotte Motor Speedway, Bristol this year, which is a short track, back to a 1.5-mile track. But uh, I, I like uh, seeing that happen at Texas Motor Speedway, and I'm kind of curious to know where it's going to be for the following year and what NASCAR's future plans are with that. But, Mike, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this uh, announcement. I was really happy to see it. Um, I made it no secret. I have not been a big fan of the racing at Texas over the past few years, ever since really uh, the repave and reconfiguration they did at the beginning of the decade. I think the quality of the racing by and large has dropped off at Texas, which is unfortunate because it's still a very nice facility and a great location. So the fact that the Mm on-track product has been somewhat lackluster is disappointing. Um, they haven't announced any race lengths, but I certainly wouldn't be heartbroken if they shaved 100 miles off of that, uh, that one Texas points-paying race that they have there. Uh, the 500-mile races of Texas always feel a little on the ex- excessively long side as well. Uh, with regard to the All-Star race, time will tell. Um, they moved it out of Charlotte because it kind of was getting a reputation as the all-snore race. Um, so hopefully they're able to find something, whether it's uh, some sort of a, a car setup package or some sort of racing format thing that brings a little bit of entertainment value to the racing at Texas. Um, because, you know, it's one thing to put the all-star race here. That's great. But that's probably one of NASCAR's most hyped events outside of crown jewel races. And to hype an event like that only to put on a show that is not the most entertaining or engaging for fans who might not otherwise watch racing, that's kind of counterproductive there. So maybe they'll do stage one on the mile and a half and then stage two on the legends track and stage three, they'll run them, you know, the opposite way around and make right turns around the track. I don't know. Hopefully they come up with something entertaining to make that all star race at Texas, something you can't miss. As far as circuit of the Americas, I couldn't be happier. Like Andy said, that is a state of the art facility. And when I say state of the art, there's like NASCAR state of the art, you know, Daytona, something like that, which is a very nice facility. But Circuit of the Americas is in a completely different league. The way Formula One builds their tracks and their facilities is to a level and a standard that just it does not exist in NASCAR. And 
that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just terms of design philosophy and the amount of financial investment that people want to put into these facilities. Because of that, Circuit of the Americas is probably the nicest, most modern, most well-kept racing facility on the entire North American continent. And I don't say that exaggeratingly. If you've ever seen Circuit of the Americas, it'd be hard to argue against that. So I really look forward to seeing NASCAR uh, make their debut there next year. Okay. Um, Andy, follow up. Yeah, a couple points to follow up. Um, You talked about the all-star race moving around. I think that would be a really good thing to see it move from track to track uh, and maybe even, uh, you know, visit some facilities that maybe they don't run points races on. I know that idea has been thrown out there, but this next year would mark the third different track that it's gone to in as many years. So hopefully that's a trend to where we start to see that race move around some. And then, um, you know, the other, the other part about this too is, is with adding a new facility, I'm hoping that we start to see maybe more facilities and less um, and less tracks getting two dates. I'm not so sure that every track needs to have two dates. I think there's some that make sense, but a lot don't. And I'm more in favor of seeing more variety of the style of racetracks, such as more road courses, and as well as you know seeing this series, all three series, really traveling around and visiting different facilities in different regions of the country. So um, I'm in favor for seeing new additions. I think it's exciting. I think road course racing is exciting. And there's no reason to think this won't be, you know, one of the more anticipated events for next year. I agree, Andy. I I think uh, I I totally 100% agree with that statement that we need more facilities and less doubles. Uh, at the same facility, unless it's a double header. I mean, if they want to do a double header at a facility, I'd be okay with that. But having two dates, uh, I think, uh, is is something that should be of the past and not <laughs> moving forward. So that's about all I have to to add, I guess. Uh, Mike, your follow up uh, and final thoughts on this subject. Yeah, as far as the Circuit of the Americas race, obviously there's a lot of details to be hammered out. First and foremost being confirmation that NASCAR is actually going to be going to Circuit of the Americas. It's been widely reported, but uh, as of this point now, I don't think I've seen any official statement from NASCAR or any kind of a team statement or you know, a, a person of authority, you know, the track or whatever, that would confirm that, yes, NASCAR will be racing at COTA. It just seems like a strong rumor right now that we're all kind of hoping gets confirmed. Uh, but other details, race date, whether they're going to bring the Xfinity Series or Truck Series to town, whether they will pair up with Formula One that same weekend and hopefully capitalize on the market that both of the different sports and racing disciplines bring. There's a lot to be seen for Circuit of the American, so I really look forward to seeing uh, how that develops. And I doubt this is going to be the last time we talk about it before that race takes place. <laughs> I would agree. Well, since I don't know the uh, sequential order necessarily of how the news dropped out today, I'm going to go to Andy uh, for the next top, hot topic. Um, you, you didn't want to come up with the next one, Sharon? Nope. <laughs> you go ahead. Okay. Uh, um, well, I'm going to let someone take the real big one. So I'm going to just talk about um, the the race at Bristol, of course, it was the cutoff race for the round of 16. And I wanted to get your thoughts on um, some of the surprises of, of who did make it and, and who did make it to the next round, because I think that there were 
probably, you know, one or two drivers on both sides of the coin that surprised us. Okay. So, uh, Mike, your thoughts? Obviously, the easiest big surprise out of this one was just how poorly Ryan Blaney and the 12 car did. Um, it wasn't that they had a big crash or a mechanical failure that put them way back in points. They had a 10-point penalty, which you know we can, we can debate whether or not that had a massive effect on them. But they, they ended up almost 40 points below the cutoff line. So that penalty in and of itself wasn't the mathematical reason they were eliminated. The 12 car was just slow. All three races, the 12 car was off the pace, and as a result, Ryan Blaney wasn't even a factor for advancing into the round of 12, and that was really surprising given the kind of regular season that that 12 team had put together. Um, On the positive side of the surprise, Austin Dillon was really a non-factor at Bristol, but Austin Dillon was a major factor at Darlington and then again the following week at Richmond, and I think that was surprised a lot of people, myself included. So we've got a couple tracks out in this round, um, that don't necessarily favor Austin Dillon, especially the Charlotte Roval. It'll be interesting to see how that three team comes together and is, are they able to capitalize on the momentum that they have going into this next round. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was, um, uh, I agree. I think, uh, although I don't think any of these drivers have anything to hang their head about, I think uh, for Ryan Blaney, uh, the whole playoff uh, was a disaster for him. I think it started with that penalty, and uh, they just never recovered from it. And it, it, he kind of showed some strength a little bit, I guess, at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway, but that kind of faded back. And uh, uh, the other drivers, we're talking Matt Benedetto, uh, Cole Custer, and William Byron, I I think all of those drivers uh, really have nothing to hang their head about. I think they all put forth a valiant effort, and uh, I'm sad to see them eliminated in this first round. Uh, But I think in all of those cases, we have a lot to look forward to with those drivers uh, in the coming years. So can't wait to see what happens, uh, uh, especially for 2021 for all four of those drivers. So, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, as we look at this, I think that – um, there's two really big surprises on either side of this, and Ryan Blaney being eliminated would have to be number one, like like we've already said, and, and certainly on the other side of that is how well Austin Dillon has been. Um, I think for, for many people going into the playoffs, Blaney was a dark horse to, to be that fourth car at Phoenix, and so for him to go out in, in the first round is a bit surprising. They've run better than that throughout the year so it is uh really intriguing to me that they just faltered you know in this round but that's just the way it goes sometimes um the other three cars i guess weren't a huge surprise it would have you know just from a from just a fan standpoint it was you wanted to see maddie v keep going you know i know they worked so hard to get to the playoffs that was a big story when they made it so for them to be eliminated right right off the bat is disappointing. I was, you know, hoping to see the Wood Brothers and that 21 team keep going. But, um, you know, Byron, not a huge surprise. Um, you know, they were on right on the cut line anyway until they won Daytona. Um, and their performance has been okay this year, but probably a round of 16-level car. So them not, them being eliminated wasn't a, wasn't a huge shock to me. 
in Cole Custer, I mean, it wasn't a huge shock to see him eliminated, but honestly, they had a good year as a rookie. And like you said, Sharon, none of these drivers have anything to be upset about or be disappointed about. I mean, for Custer, as a rookie, he won the race or won a race at Kentucky, made the playoffs, won rookie of the year. I mean, that's a great rookie season, you know, for being brand new to the Cup Series. So absolutely nothing to be disappointed about. You can only expect greater things from those guys, I think, moving forward. So, um, like I said, with the exception of Blaney, the other three weren't huge shockers. Um, I think the big surprise moving forward, you know, would be Dylan. And, and quite frankly, he ran extremely well uh, at Darlington and Richmond and um, didn't really need to do anything spectacular at Bristol to simply just make it to the next round. So it is interesting to me whether they can sustain that that, that level of um, – of performance moving forward, but um, certainly a big surprise. You know, if they keep running like that, they're going to prove a lot of people wrong, I think, as the season progresses. So, um, but to me, those were certainly the two big surprises, I think, coming out of this round. But um, we move on to the next round, which has a lot of unpredictability in itself. So it'll be interesting, you know, to see who can step up and, and who falters. Okay, Mike. I'm going to kind of put my fan hat on for just a second here and say I'm, I'm, I was really excited to see Matt Benedetto in the playoffs, and I was equally as disappointed to see that team uh, exit as early as they did. Not so much surprised. You know, like, uh, like Andy put it, they've been a round of 16-level car for the majority of the season, and that's exactly where they ended up. But I do want to point out the heroic work that they did on uh, Saturday night at Bristol. They went into the race not quite needing to, to win the race, but mathematically it was a long shot for them to, to advance without winning the race. They went out there. They led laps. Uh, due to some unfortunate pit stop issues with a loose wheel, he went three laps down. The team regained those three laps in the span of about 45 seconds between uh, mm-hmm. a, uh, taking a wave around and then catching a caution at just the right time and getting the lucky dog. Matthew Benedetto was back on the lead lap. Uh, he was running seventh place with five, 15 laps to go, and they cut a right rear tire. And even seventh place wouldn't have been enough to advance them, but that's been the kind of luck that they've had this year. Um, Wood Brothers supposedly has till the end of the month to pick up the option to, uh, to bring that back again next year. Uh, and there really hasn't been any, uh, any talk one way or the other about whether they're going to come back or not. So I really, really, really hope that Wood Brothers Racing does execute that option and brings Matt Benedetto back to the 21 car for next year because I think that team has a lot to build on, and I think they'd have an even better season next year if Matt were there with them. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, like I said before, I just don't think any of these guys have anything to hang their head about. Uh, you know, they, they've uh, done a really, really good job all season long uh, in order to be in the playoffs to begin with. And uh, I, I think all of them put forth a valiant effort. I, I know Ryan ran into some bad luck during the playoffs, but his season has uh, been a terrific season for him. Uh, in that number 12 car. And, uh, I, 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 again, I just look forward to what these guys do moving forward because I think we're going to see uh, good things uh, and perhaps even great things from all, all four of those drivers. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Andy, your final thoughts? Yeah, no, it's, um, I think, just nature of the playoffs. You know, we, we see teams – 
that can that sometimes progress forward, you know, all the way through the playoffs that you wouldn't have expected, and and you see teams eliminated early on that aren't necessarily expected to be eliminated that quickly. So that's just the way it goes. And I think this next round, you know, th- this round was 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 pretty interesting in the sense that it was Darlington, Richmond, and Bristol. So you have Darlington, which is unique, plus two short tracks. I think it gets even more volatile this next round, especially when you consider Talladega and the Roval in there, with the Roval being a cutoff race. So um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who can step up and and, and who falters certainly, but. Um, that's the nature of the playoffs. And and I think that we're in for some surprises in this next round. Okay. So with that, we're back to Mike for the next topic. Mike, your thoughts? All right. So um, this one broke just about as the show went on the air, and this is all confirmed from various announcements. So this isn't even rumor mill territory at this point anymore. Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan have been, uh, they've been longtime friends and business partners via the Jordan brand sponsorship with Denny Hamlin. Well, they have now partnered together. They have purchased the charter from Jermaine Racing. Uh, what was the number 13 car will now be owned, co-owned, uh, majority owner being Michael Jordan and uh, minority owner Denny Hamlin. And it will compete in the 2021 uh, Cup Series season as a single car team with driver Bubba Wallace. Okay, so Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, this is huge. Um, I, I know this has been rumored and was probably going to come for, to fruition at some point. Didn't expect that it would be tonight, right, as we were getting ready to do the show. So certainly um, a very, very big news day. Um, pretty exciting. I mean, you're always, you always want to see new teams, right? You always want to see growth. So for this to finally be made official for, for Hamlin um, to announce a partnership with, with Michael Jordan, is um is exciting right it's pretty cool um it's great to see a new team come in you you have to think with that level you know of investment from from a high profile driver like denny and certainly michael jordan i I think that goes without saying um (laughs) that's gonna that's probably gonna be you know that's gonna bring in some high funding and, and should help this team compete um you know Simultaneous with this announcement was also the announcement of the Jermaine Racing Charter sale, which would only surmise that that's probably where their charter is going to come from. I believe it's not exactly sure what the team's called. I think it's just Denny. Is it Denny Hamlin Racing? Is that what? Yeah, Denny Hamlin's already confirmed that it's it's the Jermaine Charter that they purchased. Okay, so that's. obviously going to help them having a charter moving into next year. And although they have said that, you know, there's a lot of details to be worked out, it sounds like it will likely be a Toyota team and I'm sure it will have an affiliation with uh, JGR, you know, to some degree. So um, exciting. And, and furthermore, it's, it's an exciting step for Bubba Wallace in his career. Certainly, you know, he's, developed a lot of attention and has been able to secure, you know, a significant level of funding that's only going to help a new team like this to get things going. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a big step for him. It's going to be by far the biggest opportunity that he's ever had in his racing career. And, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun to see what they do next year, you know, but, but it, 
at the end of the day, it's just nice to see, you know, new ownership getting involved. And I realize Denny's been a part of this sport for a while, but this will be his first venture as an owner. Um, I think the bigger news is probably the addition of Michael Jordan, you know, coming in from the basketball world as an investor to the sport. I mean, to bring in new people like that is, is, is really a, a huge positive and a really good thing. And um, like I said, great opportunity for Bubba Wallace. And, you know, I think it became more and more clear in recent weeks when, you know, it was made public knowledge that he wasn't going to go to the 42 car after having received an offer from that team. Um, and he was unlikely to go to an existing high-profile team. It became clear that whatever he had up his sleeve, it was probably going to involve this this new rumored Denny Hamlin team, and that's exactly what's going to happen. So um, just exciting news, you know. I mean, I, like I said, I didn't expect that we'd be talking about this tonight, but um, here's the news, and, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting, to say the least. Again, I am super excited with this news. Uh, I have suspected from the beginning of Denny Hamlin talking about a new team uh, and being a team owner, I have suspected from the very beginning that Michael Jordan would be involved in this, even though he did deny it. Uh, I did. That didn't sway my thoughts on that because uh, uh, I have been a Michael Jordan fan for many, many years, having lived in the Chicago area for over 40 years. I was there during the Bulls' reign in the basketball arena, and I'm telling you, he ruined basketball for me. I could not watch the Bulls after watching that uh, uh, that whole team. And Michael Jordan is the kind of guy, he knows how to push his teammates in order to get more out of them. He made all of those players better players. And if you haven't watched The Last Dance, uh, you really need to watch it. Uh, he's a competitive guy, and uh, he is going to, uh, I think, mean a lot as a team owner within NASCAR. Uh, and uh, I think for Bubba Wallace, this is going to be huge uh, because Michael Jordan will make him a better driver, and I truly believe that. He talks about being growing up in North Carolina and going to NASCAR races since he was a child. His dad used to take him uh, to the NASCAR races there in the North Carolina area, and he's loved racing, NASCAR racing ever since then and has been a fan uh, from childhood. So I think he's very familiar with the sport. Uh, I think that he's very uh, familiar with the area, uh, and uh, I think that uh, he's going to find success uh, with Denny Hamlin. Uh, they became friends. Denny Hamlin talks about meeting Michael Jordan at a North Carolina Panthers game and uh, eventually becoming friends with him uh, and getting the sponsorship from Michael Jordan has meant a lot to Denny Hamlin's career uh, and to take that sponsorship now into a new team as a team owner. Uh, again, I think this is going to be huge, 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 huge for the sport. Uh, I'm very familiar with Michael Jordan and his competitive <laughs> nature and uh, uh, I, I can't wait to see what he does uh, with this new team. Uh, and, Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Now, with that said, I think it's really important that we have some expectation management on it. With the names that are associated here, Michael Jordan, Denny Hamlin, Bubba Wallace, it's really easy to get 
super hyped up about it and start penciling them in for Phoenix next year. NASCAR racing, especially at the NASCAR Cup Series level, that's like go to the moon kind of hard. There's guys who have been doing it for Mm -hmm. decades, and they still haven't haven't figured it out, and they still take it on the chin a lot. NASCAR racing is incredibly difficult, and we're talking about a single-car startup team here. And No matter how many good, you know, big names and big money is involved, it's still going to be an extremely uphill climb for them. I look forward to seeing them – grow and develop into hopefully a very competitive team, a championship winning team. But I caution people not to get too excited about their prospects for 2021 and don't get too disappointed and down on the team. If the results aren't there for the first half of the season, they're just starting out. It is going to take some time for them to get their feet under them. So give the team time before you write them off as any kind of a a disappointment or a failure. They'll get there, but it's going to take a minute. Andy, your follow-up. I think the intriguing part to me is is the uh, personnel that will work this car. You know, I know that there are, um, you know, some ex-GGR employees that work for the current Levine family racing, such as Mike Wheeler and uh, some others, uh, Jason Ratcliffe as well. You have to wonder, well, Ratcliffe's probably going to go with Bell to the 20 car next year. If I were to speculate, that's just me speculating. But I am in- intrigued to learn, you know, if, if some people from the former Levine family racing will go over there to this new team or if it'll be, you know, people from other teams or if maybe some Joe Gibbs racing employees go there. It'll be it'll be curious to see how they build this program up. You have to believe that they're going to go out and try to get the best talent in the garage, just like every team does every off season. Um you know, like you said, like Mike's point is, you know, a new team like this isn't probably going to go out and win races right off the bat. But you have to believe that with a high level of investment and a high level of funding that they're going to have the best resources and the best tools at their disposal. And, yes, it will probably take some time. But I don't think it's far-fetched to say that this is a team that may not be able to contend for a couple wins next year. You just never know. But, nonetheless, it's certainly one of the – it's certainly one of the biggest storylines going into the next season. And, and certainly I think a lot of us, whether we're fans of this team or not, are going to be curious to see what they do and, and curious to see if they can get to victory lane. It's certainly, I think, a team that we're all going to follow to some degree. Yeah, uh, I agree with both of you. Mike, I, I uh, 100% agree that this team's not going to come out of the gates uh, going out and winning championships. That's, going to happen. <laughs> uh, so looking at this realistically, these guys are going to take time to build. Uh, but at, with that said, uh, Michael Jordan didn't come out of the gates, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, winning uh, basketball games either. And he wasn't successful as a Sox player. Uh, so uh, under the Sox uh, uh, farming uh, team, but anyway, the the thing is, is that um, uh, I do think, as Andy has mentioned, uh, they do have a lot of resources going into this, uh, and I'm curious as well to know who they pick to develop this team, uh, because uh, I think that uh, uh, that's going to be a really important part of this uh, whole equation, is who the team members are. And uh, I think we may see some groundbreaking uh, news in that regard as well. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they develop this team. So 
I, uh, I'm kind of anxious to see what news follows this big announcement. It's something that we've been anticipating uh, for quite a while. And uh, I, 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 I just uh, am kind of anxious to see how they develop that team. Uh, and, and I agree, Andy. I think that there might be some Levine Family Racing uh, team members. But then you've got to think about who's going to pick up Levine Family Racing Charter as well and uh, whether or not they keep uh, some of those existing players in place at, at that organization under a new team. So, it, again, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. But I think it is intriguing, and uh, I think the, this was a big shoe to drop, and uh, I, I uh, am excited to see how that development uh, process takes place. So uh, with that, Mike, I'm interested in your uh, final comments. Um, I'm wondering how much the selling price for the number 23 is going to be. I think it's currently owned by Front Row Motorsports. I could be wrong, but let's not kid ourselves here. You think Michael Jordan's going to run a car with anything other than a 23 on the side of it? (laughs) Uh, It's hard to say. (laughs) Is that it? Yeah, that's all I've got. Like I said, we're, we're th- this answers a lot of the questions. You know, we, we've we've talked for weeks about oh, we got this one bit of information and it opens up more doors with more questions. Well, this just answered probably about half a dozen or more questions here. Um, so it's really good to see some uh, some things starting to fall into place for 2021. This is a biggie, and I was I'm really happy to see that the Jermaine Racing Charter is going to go to good use. Not to say that, that Spire Motorsports buying Levine Family Racing is a waste, but I think a Denny Hamlin, Michael Jordan racing use of that charter has a lot greater likelihood, at least in the current environment, of producing a car that can win races, if not out immediately, at least by the end of the year or into the season after. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of those butts are, are landing from the air, right? That's correct. A couple of the butts are falling into place. <laughs> Okay. Andy, what's our next topic? Well, I'm going to just kind of segue from this topic into the next one, which just really popped into my head. But will this announcement of this new team affect Gunny Hamlin's playoff performance? And has it already affected it? Because the first round for him wasn't that great compared to where they've been all season long. And it makes you wonder if a big announcement and big news like this won't affect him going for a championship. Just wanted to see what you both think about that. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? It's entirely possible, um, especially given the tracks that were in that round. Darlington, Richmond, and Bristol are all three tracks that Denny Hamlin traditionally runs very, very well at. And I'm not going to say he did poorly, but he definitely wasn't a factor at any of them, or at least not a major threat to winning any of those races. Um, I don't know if I would attribute that to the distraction of this upcoming announcement or if it's just, you know, the the team had, you know, they, they didn't get it right. You know, they didn't roll off the truck. None of the Joe Gibbs racing cars were particularly fast with the exception of Kyle Busch at Bristol. Um, so I don't know. I, I can't say one way or the other. Yeah, I think there's two parts to this. I think one, it's very possible that with the news floating around as rumor uh, for as long as it has been, uh, perhaps this was Denny Hamlin's way of getting it off the table so that he can focus on the championship. Uh, maybe it's already been a distraction, and he wanted to get it out there so he can move forward. Um, 
and, and I don't know that. I'm just speculating there. Uh, and the second part of that, what was the second part of that? Because I, I, it was something that Mike said, and now I've forgotten what it was. But um, I do think that uh, Denny Hamlin uh, in this series uh, has fallen off. Oh, I know what the second part was. We've talked all season long about Denny Hamlin and, and Kevin Harvick and how long can they keep that momentum going? Is it possible to keep it going all year long? Well, I think uh, Harvick has shown us that it is possible to keep it going all year long. He's got nine wins now under his belt. And, and Hamlin's kind of uh, indicating that just how hard it is. Uh, to keep that momentum going for all season long. So I, I can't necessarily blame uh, Hamlin uh, for falling off in the playoffs. I, I think it's extremely hard to keep that kind of momentum going all season long. And the playoffs uh, add an extra dimension of intensity uh, to uh, the competition. So um uh, I, I just think that uh, maybe with this news coming out, it might help that team refocus and maybe get back on track. But we'll have to kind of wait and see. Uh, because think about it. If if this news is floating around as a rumor, uh, a lot of people within Denny Hamlin's uh, team uh, might be speculating about what their future is going to look like and everything. And so this kind of puts that to rest. And I think that's all, all really good. Uh, so I, I think Denny Hamlin was kind of in a position where he had to get that news out there and uh, be able to move forward. Uh, so this might help him regain that focus. So, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's been a career year for him, you know, in terms of, you know, wins and, and, and being really that number two driver all year long. He and He and Harvick have been really good. Um, it just, and it may be completely unrelated, but it did surprise me to some degree that, um, you know, he's been, he was really good throughout the summer stretch. You know, you look at some really strong finishes, wins at Kansas and Dover, and then it was like as soon as the playoffs started, finishes of 13th, 12th, and 21st, which I would consider to be uncharacteristic for a team that's been as good as it has been all year long. So, whether it's related to, you know, ongoing things behind the scenes or not, that's totally, that totally remains to be seen. Um, You know, but I just, I I wonder, you know, what he'll be able to do. And and to your point, maybe getting this announcement off their chest and now, now that everyone knows they can get back to business and he can focus on the task at hand, which is seven more races to close out the season. And maybe he'll be able to go for that, first ever elusive cup championship. So um, it's just interesting to me, you know, that, that they've, you know, had the issues that they've had and then now this comes out. So maybe, maybe this is exactly what he needs to regain, regain focus and get going forward into the playoffs. But, um, uh, but we'll have to see, but um, it just, it just kind of intrigued me looking at his finishes you know, coinciding with this if they weren't related or not. But we're never probably going to know the real answer on that, and I guess we'll know more, um, you know, given how he does in this next round of the playoffs. There you go. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, like I said on the last uh, topic, Cup Series racing is really, really hard, and uh, it doesn't take much to, to knock a team off just that little tiny, tiny bit 
and now all of a sudden their competitive edge that they had over the competition has uh, has eroded away a little bit. And maybe that's what happened to the 11 team. I don't know. Um, like Andy said, it's going to be interesting to see now that the cat's out of the bag, does that change the performance of the 11 team going forward into the next round of the playoffs? They've still got a fairly comfortable cushion, and they may have just been taking a little bit of a breather. They weren't racing for the regular season championship anymore. Barring something catastrophic, they weren't going to get eliminated into the round of 16. So maybe they just used that round of 16 as a chance to take a little bit of a breather, and it just happened to coincide with, uh, with the announcement that came out at the end of the round of 16. I don't know. I'm not privy to any of those discussions. We'll just have to see how it turns out for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that's a good point, Mike. Uh, none of us really know. We're all speculating as to what might be happening uh, with that number 11 team and, and uh, everything. But, uh, again, I go back to how hard it is to sustain uh, that kind of momentum. It, it's not an easy task. I know Kevin Harvick is making it look extremely easy. Uh, but it's not really an easy task to keep that kind of momentum going uh, for an entire season. It wears and tears on a team, and it especially wears and tears on a team uh, when you're in the playoffs, those final 10 races of the season after 26 races uh, leading up to this. And think about it, they've, they've crammed those 26 races really into an abbreviated season uh, with the COVID pandemic and how that kind of changed the whole schedule uh, for the Cup Series. So that put some extra uh, wear and tear on the teams. Uh, so I think that might have more to do with it than the announcements. But uh, I do think that that probably helps a little bit, getting that announcement out there uh, and taking a little bit of the pressure off, kind of a release valve, if you will, just to kind of release some of that pressure in order to move forward. Um, so, again, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. We've got the next round starting at Las Vegas next week, and uh, we'll see how Denny Hamlin does there and for the remainder of the season. Uh, but... Uh, 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 I'm just uh, uh, really thinking that it has a lot to do with uh, the difficulty of just maintaining that kind of momentum all season long, and especially in this season where a lot has been cramped into a shorter period of time. So, Andy, your final thoughts? Uh, I don't have any follow-up, um, but um, certainly intrigued to see what this team is going to do um, uh, I guess we're, never mind. We're, we're talking about something different. Anyway, I was still thinking about that Hamlin subject with this new team, but um, yeah, I guess I'm all set on my final thoughts. Okay, so Mike, the next topic. Yeah, um, I, this is a little bit back in the Matt Benedetto discussion, uh, but Menards has said that they're going to be pulling back their sponsorship of some NASCAR racing. They're not leaving the sport entirely, but their sponsorship level is going to be withdrawn slightly. They haven't said which teams or which drivers are going to be seeing reduced support from Menards. Uh, Menards has been a phenomenal partner with the sport for going on two decades now. Uh, Paul Menard obviously was a mainstay in uh, the Xfinity and the NASCAR Cup Series for many, many years. Um, And seeing Menards pull back their sponsorship isn't great. 
It gives me a lot of concern, though, for Matt Benedetto in particular, because I would say he's probably in the most vulnerable spot from a sponsorship standpoint at the Wood Brothers. They've got Ford Motorcraft on board, Dutch Boy, and a few other partners, but that car is yellow a lot of races this year. So having Menards pull back their sponsorship of NASCAR in general, it may have a negative impact on Matt Benedetto specifically uh, as a driver who's looking for sponsorship and still doesn't have a tied-down ride for next year. Okay. So, uh, Andy, uh, let's talk about Matt Benedetto and Menards. Yeah, this is um, interesting news, certainly. We talked about this um, in our chat the other day a little bit, but um, Menards has a has a really heavy involvement in NASCAR, and it's not just the 21 team. They have heavy involvement with uh, Team Penske, I believe, certainly with Ryan Blaney's team, as well as uh, in, in some, I believe, IndyCar series as well. And uh, they also sponsor you know, teams in other divisions, too, such as... Um, Brandon Jones, heavy involvement with his Xfinity team at Joe Gibbs Racing, also Matt Crafton for years, years and years in the truck series. So, you know, you'd certainly like to see those partnerships continue. But the point is that, you know, Menards has heavy involvement with multiple vehicles across at least the top three series, if not other series too, when you consider the ARCA Menard series, if you will. So, you know, certainly their involvement in the sport runs deep, and um, it'll be interesting to see where they make their cuts. Um, I don't see them pulling out of the sport, you know, that they've been in for so long. Um, but given that they have so much involvement across so many levels, you'd, you'd have to think, especially with Paul Menard himself taking Matt Benedetto to drive the 21 car and, and having driven for the Wood Brothers, you'd have to think that, you know, there'd be some sentimental value in continuing to sponsor that team. So hopefully they don't cut there. Um, But obviously businesses have to make decisions from a financial standpoint, and it may make sense for them to cut back to some degree. Uh, But yeah, I just find it hard to believe that it would be the 21 car. Yeah. Arkham Menards, uh, I'm sorry, the Menards organization has been around now. Racing. I'm just going to say racing for for many, many years. But like most businesses, this pandemic has had an effect, and it's caused even bigger businesses to have to make tough decisions. And real quick, I'm going to interrupt myself here because we are at that time of the show where we're going to go off the air, and uh, you're going to hear us uh, go off the air mid-sentence. We will continue the rest of the conversation as part of our bonus overtime material for the podcast. So I'll go out on Twitter and let people know when that podcast is available once we complete the show. And uh, if you've listened up to this point, all you have to do is fast forward to that two hour mark uh, in order to hear the rest of our conversation uh, during this NASCAR hot topic segment. And uh, we like to make this announcement at this time of the night in case there's any new listeners. I know our regular listeners hear this every week uh, and every show, but uh, for any new listeners, we like to just alert everybody to let them know what's going on and how they can listen to the rest of the conversation. So with that, I'll just kind of finish. Uh, Menards has been around for a long time. Uh, It's sad to see them kind of pulling back, but I understand the necessity to do that. 
and uh, I understand where they're probably coming up from. I guess I'm more interested uh, in knowing, uh, I, I know it's probably going to affect that 21 team to a certain degree, and they're probably going to have to go out and look for additional sponsorship. Uh, ARCA is one of those that have been like uh, one of the few sponsors that have been out there uh, for nearly every race. Uh, in NASCAR because uh, those are fewer and far between. Uh, so it's just a sign of the times, I think. But uh, I'm more interested in knowing how it's going to affect the Arkham Menard series next season uh, and if they're going to be pulling back uh, in that area of racing. So uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see what further announcements come from this. But uh um, I think Matt Benedetto and Woods Brothers, uh, they've been around this business. Uh, the Wood Brothers in particular have been around this business for a long, long time, and they know how to go after sponsorships. So uh, I don't – it might have some impact on, uh, on the 21 team, whether it's Matt Benedetto or somebody else. Um, but uh, depending on if Matt's able to help bring sponsorship uh, to that team – it might be one of those things that go into the equation of whether or not he stays uh, at that 21 team for Wood Brothers Racing. Uh, because if there's a, another team that can bring sponsorship to the organization, it might, might leave them no other choice. And that's pure speculation on my part, uh, but just kind of a thought uh, to kind of keep in mind in this whole equation of things with the Arkham and Art Series and as it relates to that number 21 team. So, Mike, I'm interested in knowing your thoughts. Yeah. Um, like you said, uh, Menards has not said specifically what they're going to be doing as far as where they're going to move money to where. Um, no matter what they decide to do, you know, NASCAR social media can get really nasty when, whenever moves like this get made. So hopefully if Menards does decide to pull away from your favorite driver, whether it's Matt Benedetto or Brandon Jones or anyone else, be understanding to the fact that Menards is one of, if not the biggest individual partners that NASCAR has had over the years mm-hmm. in terms of sponsoring a wide range of not just individual teams and drivers, but an entire named series as well with the Arkham Menard series. So it's entirely within Menard's prerogative to scale that back a little bit. If it makes good business sense for them, they don't know the sport, anything they've already given a lot. So be thankful for Menard's support uh, so far to this point. Hopefully that partnership can continue in whatever capacity uh, that Menard's decides is irrelevant for their business. And Hopefully it doesn't mean one of our favorite drivers ends up out of a ride, Matt Benedetto or otherwise. Hopefully other sponsors can step in to fill that gap or teams can figure out how to bridge the gap otherwise. But, yeah, don't get on Twitter and say mean things about Menards. I'll leave it at that. That's a good point, Mike. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happens with the 21 car. It's a bit of a, a little bit of a mystery, but I, I think that um, if it's not Matt that returns to that car, it, you know, it, it just would be it's hard pressed for me to put a finger on who else would get in that car. So um, with any luck, we'll see him back in it. You know, I know we've talked about this on previous shows, but, um, you know, they've only been together one year. I think that, you know, if they can stay together for the foreseeable future, they're only going to get better and better. So, um, 
you know, we seem to be in an age in, in racing where, you know, some of these drivers and teams don't really get much more than a year or two to prove themselves, which is unfortunate. Um, you know, obviously there's, there are drivers, you know, certainly that have developed longstanding relationships with their teams and sponsors and have had a lot of success, but it seems like we're seeing a trend where a driver goes to a team and gets a really good opportunity for a year. And that's all they get, which is, you know, disappointing because it, it oftentimes takes more, more than that to get things going. So, um, you know, with regards specifically to the, the sponsorship situation, you know, if Menards for whatever reason did pull back a little bit on the 21 car, you'd have to believe that they could find somebody to fill that void, whether it's Ford motor company or, Motocraft, Quick Lane, you know, somebody that can step up and, and, and fill the void. So, um, you know, two things, hopefully they can find, you know, sponsorship and whoever's affected. It, it could be, like I said, it could be, you know, the Joe Gibbs sponsorship, could be the Thor Sports sponsorship. You just don't know. But whoever loses the sponsorship, you hope that they can fill the void somehow. And um, it'll be interesting, certainly, to, to see how that plays out. Yes, indeed. I don't really have too much to add except to agree with what both Mike and Andy have said here. So, Mike, uh, your final thoughts? No, that's about it on this one. Uh, It's wait and see again. Um, Hope for the best in this case, and uh, we'll see how it shakes out. I doubt we're going to see a whole lot of that, you know, where specific changes are going to be made until we get closer to the beginning of the 2021 season. Okay. Andy, do you have another topic? Um, I think I'm, I think I'm okay as far as this stuff goes. We certainly covered all the big ones. I can't really think of anything else at this point. Okay, uh, Mike, how about you? Do you have another topic? Sure. Um, in the post-race interview following Bristol, Kyle Busch said some interesting things, uh, as he tends to do. <laughs> um, one, you know, one of them you kind of expect. He talks about how Joey Logano is not really anybody's friend, and that's that's not a surprise to anybody, I don't think, especially not Joey. He's he's made it perfectly clear he's not out there to make friends. So mission accomplished there. The thing that really did surprise me though was Kyle Busch pretty bluntly put it that he expects to be eliminated in this upcoming round. Um, it's not that there's a chance. It's not that maybe. It's not anything. He bluntly said he expects the 18 car driven by one Kyle Busch himself to be eliminated in this round of the playoffs. Some interesting thoughts, Andy, your thoughts. <laughs> no, it was entertaining for sure. Uh, his comments were <laughs> rather, uh, rather blunt and candid, which is what we usually get for, from Kyle Busch when he's, you know, frustrated and, um, which I found to be interesting because he ran well, but, you know, Kyle Busch likes to win. And when he doesn't win, he gets frustrated. And I think, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I would not have predicted that he would go, uh, what are we, 29 races in with no wins, you know, from him. I, and I, you have to wonder if it's getting to him. Certainly, you know, acting like that, it, you'd have to think that it's getting to him a little bit, especially when, you know, he had a race win within grasp, and um, he felt like it got taken away from him there. But his comments were interesting. Um, certainly a lot of frustration, you know, you know, the Logano comment and then the lap car comment, once again, blaming lap cars um, for losing a race, which, you know, Bristol is a racetrack where lap cars, and we talked about this in our 
you know, our chat during the race, Bristol is one of those racetracks where you're, you can't get away from each other. You've got 40 cars out on a very small racing surface. You're going in the, at a pretty good speed and there's a big disparity between the good cars and the not so good cars and lap traffic. is just part of it. I didn't see any particular moves, you know, with the exception of the 77 car putting his parking brake on going into the turn, which actually affected Kevin Harvick, not Kyle Busch. Um, aside from that, I mean, I didn't see any lap traffic really making any boneheaded moves, so I wasn't really sure what Kyle was getting at. But he once again made some, you know, disparaging remarks against, um, you know, some of the the uh, lesser funded drivers in the field. And, you know, that's just part of it. Lap traffic is just part of the deal. Sometimes a lap car is going yep. to have an impact on the leaders. You know, I think that's just racing in general and certainly at Bristol. Like I said, huge disparity between the fast cars and the slow cars there. So that's just part of it. And then, um, to me, the most intriguing comment that he made was when they asked him what his thoughts were on Vegas, where he's like, I don't care because we're going to be eliminated at the next round. And I know that was probably out of frustration, but if you're going to win a championship, which he's proven to do twice, mind you, you got to have your head in the game. If your head's not in the game, you're, you're going to have a dismal time. So hopefully, you know, he calms down and gets his head right going into this next round of the playoffs. Because if you go into the playoffs the next round thinking that you're not going to do well and you're going to be eliminated, guess what? You're going to be eliminated. So that, to me, was a driver in his own head potentially. And it was um, interesting because, you know, if your head's not right, you're not going to go far. Okay, uh, I think that's one way to look at it, Andy, and it's certainly a possibility uh, that that's the way that uh, Kyle Bush is looking at it. But sometimes I think Kyle Bush is fly like a fox, and I think he might be pulling what you call it, uh, what I'm calling anyway, a uh, Tony Stewart move, when Tony Stewart made the comment that uh, uh, he deserved to be in the playoffs because his team hadn't been performing and then he turned around and won five out of ten races. I don't necessarily expect Kyle Busch to do that, but I will say I think that he has performed better during the playoffs than he did all season long, and I do think that that team is starting to make a turnaround. So it might be his way of pushing his team uh, to perform better uh, during this next uh, round because this next round I think is one of the toughest rounds of the entire uh, playoffs when you think about the Charlotte Roval being the elimination race and Talladega coming right after Las Vegas which is a wild card race where you don't know what's going to happen and I think that's where Kyle Busch is coming from that Talladega race might be uh, a bit of a challenge uh, uh, for him but I will say he he certainly has a possibility of winning at Las Vegas, uh, 1.5-mile track. Uh, he did well, at, I think, at – he was incredible. <laughs> he did better than just well at Bristol Motor Speedway. I couldn't believe how fast he was driving through uh, the lap traffic uh, to come from the back up to the front. And uh, the other thing is that those guys had a tough time passing inspection so I think that might be part of where he's coming from is that these guys have to kind of get their act together. And I think he's trying to push this team to perform better 
in in this next round. Uh, so that's just I, again, I'm presenting that as another possibility, his way of motivating his team to perform better. Uh, whatever way it is, I don't know. Uh, I'm just presenting another uh, uh, possibility there. So it'll be fun to see what happens in this next round for Kyle Busch, but I think he's been knocking on the door of a win, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if he does win at Las Vegas Motor Speedway to put him into the next round. So, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm I'm a guy – You this might come as a surprise – I'm a guy who frequently gets accused of being a a little bit too direct and a little bit too blunt. So as a result, I can kind of see it sometimes when when I see it in other people. (laughs) Hey, hey, that's what they tell me I'm doing. And I kind of see it here with Kyle Busch. I think he may have been a little too blunt here um, to the point where this, you know, it may be a demotivating kind of statement to his team versus a motivate. It'd be one thing if he said, yeah, if we don't do better, we're going to get eliminated. Or if we keep performing like we are, we're going to get eliminated. It wasn't that. It is flat out. We're not going to make it. We're done. It's over. Pack it up. We might as well save on the gas and not even make the road trip to Las Vegas. <laughs> and that that well, was so the level of absolutism. <laughs> well, I, I, and, and it'd be one thing if it was just Kyle Busch who was, who was affected by comments like that. But, you know, he's got – the 10 or however many guys who were at the racetrack with him, and then however many hundreds of employees in the Joe Gibbs racing orbit who all contribute to that 18 car, who all hear the exact same thing, and they're saying, well, man, our driver, the face of the team, already says that what we're doing is just we're just going to get eliminated anyway. Who cares? What's the point? And that's the, the potential other side of that takeaway of what, what a statement like that can lead to. So I see your point where it could be motivating, but in the same time, with the way he delivered it, that could be a kick in the shorts in the wrong direction. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I would have to agree with that. You know, there, there are times when, you know, a blunt comment, can be used as a wake up call to where, you know, you know, your team could say, okay, it's time to step up. But, you know, in a case like this, you know, it could also be demoralizing too. And, and certainly, um, you know, certainly the deal here is though, you can't count that team out that that is the defending series champion. And, um, you know, I know that they're not necessarily in the greatest position they want to be in points wise, with a lack of playoff points and a lack of the buffer that they had last year. But, you know, these are the defending champs. This is a team that's won two championships. I give them greater probability to make the next round than most anyone around him in points. So the odds of him, you know, not making the round of eight, I think, um, are pretty are pretty low. I think that he's got a great chance to make the next round, you know, but the, but the problem with the, with this round of 12 is that after Las Vegas, it becomes pretty unpredictable. So, um, but, but they could go out there and win next week. You just never know. Um, but I would be shocked to see this team not at least make it to the third round. Yeah, I agree uh, with both of you, actually. I think that it could go either way. And and that's what happens when people make these blunt kind of statements. Uh, and kind of uh, Kyle Busch wears his emotion on his sleeve. And after finishing second, we all know that Kyle Busch does not like to finish second. He wants to win that race. And uh, 
he's going to probably be a little more blunt uh, than, than uh, most people in that situation. So uh, I agree it could go either way. And uh, we'll have to wait and see. I just wanted to present the other side of that. Uh, and, and because Kyle Bush is Kyle Bush, and I agree with you, Andy, uh, you can't really count him out, <laughs> even though he hasn't had a, a stellar year this year. Uh, I think it's, it would be a mistake to count him out at this point, even though he's kind of put that statement out there. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Kyle Bush is certainly capable of going out there and, and turning this around. But at the same time, if, if he's in that mind frame, if he's in that headset uh, of we've lost and, and that permeates throughout the organization uh, to the manner that Mike speaks to, uh, that's not necessarily a good thing. So we're going to see what this team is made of. And if they take the head as a motivation or if they take it in a, in a way that's going to demoralize them and, and cause them to go down uh, the drain, if you will, in this second round, uh, I just think that this team uh, can rise from the ashes, if you will, and kind of make, uh, make more of that uh, and, and make it work to their benefit versus uh, allowing themselves to go down the drain. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We'll just see what happens uh, going into this next round and what happens at Las Vegas, Talladega, and the Charlotte Rovers. So, Mike, your final thoughts? Yeah, that's about it. Um, we're, once again, we're, we're trying to, to psychoanalyze the, the thoughts of a professional athlete and the, the support network around him in terms of the team. And who knows? I mean, these guys are in the position that they're in for a reason. They are professionals at the very top of their game. So to say that, well, just one statement may knock the entire team off the rails, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. But then again, like I said before, it doesn't take much off that competitive edge before the team starts slipping behind. Who knows? I, I agree with you that Las Vegas is Kyle Busch's best chance to control his destiny. Um, he tends to be historically very good on mile and a half racetracks, maybe not this year with notwithstanding. Um, but you get to Talladega and he has won at Talladega in the past, but Talladega is kind of a bingo machine. Just whatever number comes out of the machine at the end, there's your race winner right there. And the Charlotte Roval, there's only been two races there and Kyle Busch hasn't won either one of them, nor has he really been a contender for a win at either one of those races, nor was he really a contender at the Daytona road course, which is somewhat similar to Charlotte. So I would say that anything can happen, but I agree with you that Las Vegas is Kyle Busch's best chance to take control of these playoffs and advance himself. And if he isn't unable to do it at Las Vegas, now it really is kind of random luck at that point, whether or not that 18 team advances. Okay, Mike, you have any other uh Andy said he's out of hot topics. Did you have any on, others on your list? I've got one more. Unfortunately, it's kind of a downer, but Las Vegas Motor Speedway did announce that they will not be having fans in attendance for any of the races this weekend. Um, disappointing to see, especially given that we've had several races, including this past weekend at Bristol, where we've been able to have fans back at the track. It's disappointing to see that some of these local 
governments aren't getting on board with what is clearly a system that works and has, has demonstrated to work at NASCAR races. Unfortunately, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, the city leadership of the city of Las Vegas decided that they did not want to have fans at the racetrack for these races, uh, the races this weekend. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, certainly disappointing, um, especially when you consider Las Vegas and all of its casinos. Apparently, it's okay to have people indoors in a casino environment, but it's not okay <laughs> to sit outside in some grandstands at a racetrack socially distanced. So I fail to see the logic in them not allowing fans, but, you know, I guess that's why um, – they have their job as city leaders and I have the job that I do because I would make a different decision. Um, yeah, it is disappointing. And I say that because, you know, the protocols and the measures that have been put in place, um, you know, and I said this on the last show have made it such that there has been no known COVID outbreaks, uh, as a result of any races that have had fans to this point. So, um, you know, I'm I'm not suggesting that we go pack, you know, these racetracks GM-packed full again. You know, it may take some time, but I think that what they've done to this point in the in the races that have allowed fans has been good. You know, limited capacity with with distancing measures and you know the face coverings and whatnot, whatever whatever the case may be. You know, I think that you know some of these tracks, you know, in local governments have gone to you know, lengths to, to get people back in the stands. And to those people, I applaud them. Obviously, um, it's kind of a mixed bag to finish out the season. Um, you know, Vegas, no fans, um, you know, several weekends. I think Kansas, uh, Talladega, and Texas are only doing the cup race day only, which also includes the truck race at Texas because it's right before the cup race. And then um, Phoenix is all three races limited capacity and then I think we're still waiting to hear on the Roval and Martinsville although based on what we've seen from both of those states already I don't have my hopes too high for those two but we'll see um but yeah like I said you know you know I've been to two races this year and I thought that the protocols put in place were were effective so it is disappointing about Vegas but um with any luck, they'll be able to get people in the stands for next year. Yeah, uh, Andy brings up some really good points, uh, you know, with uh, casinos being open and uh, social distancing in the cons- in, in an inside environment. Uh, it doesn't make sense that they wouldn't do social distancing in an outside environment. I, I wonder, and I don't know that this is true, but NASCAR pulled out of their championship celebration at Las Vegas, uh, perhaps, and I'm not saying that this is the case. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Um, perhaps this is their way of kind of uh, uh, getting back for them pulling out of Las Vegas uh, from that championship celebration. Um, uh, I, I hope it's not the case. Uh, because NASCAR did bring money into Las Vegas by having their championship celebrations there um, through those years that they did that. But uh, you never know. In in these kind of circumstances, uh, strange things do happen. And it's just a thought that crossed my mind as a possibility. So uh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, In some of these cases, I know people are erring on the side of caution, 
Uh, but when you factor in that they're social distancing inside at the casinos in Las Vegas, it's a bit of a head scratcher to not allow fans uh, outside uh, with NASCAR's protocol. So uh, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll, I, we'll never really know. Uh, but just some thoughts that are kind of going through my head as uh, to why that might be happening. So, Mike, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, disappointing is the word, but frustrating is, is another one that really comes to mind. Um, it's not like this is the first race back where we could potentially have fans. There have been races at Bristol, Daytona, and elsewhere where there have been fans of varying uh, numbers, and, and the protocols have worked. There's been a demonstrated success and no history of failure in terms of that. So there's really no good reason for Las Vegas to, uh, to not allow fans in there unless it's a political thing. Um, I think really the solution here, though, they should allow fans in the stands and to make sure that everyone is safe, everyone gets handed a beer and a plate of potato skins because we all know that if you just drink a beer, you're going to catch COVID. But if you have an appetizer with that beer, you are 100% safe and you will not catch COVID as long as you have an appetizer with your beer. So that's clearly what Las Vegas should do in order to ensure fan safety and bring them in this weekend. Some interesting thoughts, Michael. <laughs> your follow-up. Well, if it was, um, if I could just catch COVID from uh, drinking a beer, I would have caught it probably five years ago, I guess. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I agree with with what Mike's saying, and I think the frustrating thing, you know, is that I, you know, I had read that a lot of fans had, had made travel plans and. You know, they came out with this information pretty late in the game, like a week and a half prior to the race, which I thought was a disservice to to those who were going to try to go to that. So, um, you know, I, I guess if you decide to not have fans at the racetrack, that's that's fine. But you know, I hate the fact that they waited so late in the game. You know, for those who were trying to go to it, but you know, this is the year that we live in, unfortunately, and there's two words I'm really excited to never hear again someday, and that's social distancing. Um, (laughs) I think, you know, I'm not trying to, uh, it's just, it's been one of those years, I think, for all of us, and, you know, I think we're all excited to see this this thing go the other way, and, um, you know, I'm just hoping that, uh, that 2021 provides all of us the opportunity to get back to the racetrack, and um, speaking of which, Mike, are you going to get to Dega, you think, in a couple weeks? Uh, I don't think so. I'm working three weeks straight. I'm only off the uh, the first and the back half of the last week of October. So uh, I'll say things are not looking likely for me getting out there. Somebody's got to fly these boxes around. That's right. Well, nonetheless, <laughs> I hope we all get to some races next year for sure. It's been tough to do anything this year. So just hoping for more of a sense of normalcy to get back to, to where we, we know things to be. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, this could be one of those decisions that could ultimately backfire for Las Vegas if it is kind of a political move and a statement to NASCAR, uh, because they did wait uh, so long. Uh, and why wouldn't they? Because all those fans made their plans to come to Las Vegas. They're still going to spend the money. Um, 
But, uh, again, fans are pretty savvy when it comes to those kind of things. And, uh, like I say, this could be a decision that ends up backfiring on them. In the long run, they might get some short, short-term satisfaction, but in the long run, I think it's going to hurt them more than it's going to help them. So, Mike, your final thoughts. No, that's going to do it. There's, like, uh, like Andy said, there's a couple more racetracks that are still pending in terms of whether they're going to allow fans or not. Hopefully, these racetracks can look at the data from Bristol, Daytona, Talladega, and some of the other tracks that have hosted fans recently, and they can see that with the protocols in place, there is a very low likelihood of any kind of a problem to the point where fans are probably more risk of getting into a car accident driving to and from the racetrack than they are catching COVID going to the race. So hopefully these racetracks will, uh, will look at the data and make an informed decision and will allow these fans to come and participate in the races and be able to support their drivers in person. Uh, Let me just make one last comment kind of uh, on the other side of the fence here, if you will, uh, with regard to Las Vegas not having fans. And, And again, I really don't know what the case is. We're speculating here or I'm speculating with my thoughts, but, The other thought here that kind of comes to my mind is that at a 1.5-mile track, what is their break-even factor uh, in allowing fans to come in? Uh, With the social distancing, did they hit that break-even factor with the social distancing? And that might be playing into uh, the idea of whether or not they're going to have fans in the stands. Uh, so that might be part of that equation as well in their defense, uh, since I was so hard on them. Uh, they might be looking at uh, we can't have enough fans in the stands and still break even. We're going to lose money on that deal. So that's a possibility as well here. Okay. Um, so any follow-up on that real quick since I threw it out there? Michael, Andy. Well, I mean, they did have 5,000 fans at Talladega, and that's a bigger facility than Las Vegas. So I'm, I'm pretty sure most of these tracks are losing money this year anyway, just opening the gates with the limited amount of uh, support they're going to get just to hold a race there with or without the fans that they're getting. Um, but building that fan goodwill, investing in the fan goodwill, I think is probably more important at this point than you know, the, the ones and zeros of whether they're actually making a profit this year running races. I don't know, just my opinion. Okay, Andy? Yeah, as far as the break-even aspect of it, um, I mean, that's a really good point, Sharon, and I'm not sure, you know, if that um, – well, I, I guess it, it probably does vary between racetrack to racetrack, but certainly um, you can't imagine that um, – you know, these racetracks are really making a ton of money when you consider reduced crowds. But, um, you know, I have to think that, you know, Bristol, for example, you know, with 30,000 fans, especially at the cup race on Saturday, like, you know, it had to have made at least some money. But it is a good point. I don't know, you know, what they're losing. But I think that getting any amount of fans in the stands um, is certainly better than none. So, but, but, yeah, that is a really good point, and, and maybe some bean counter somewhere, you know, thought it wasn't worth it. <laughs> I don't know, but, um, yeah, just, just hoping for just hoping for better, better attendance for next year for sure. 
Okay. With that, it's time for our roundtable sign-off. So, Mike, we'll start with you on that. Yeah, Mike Orzel on Facebook, Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter. Um, don't forget, voting is open for NASCAR most popular driver <laughs> with the limited ability to go to the racetrack this year. It's really important that the fans reach out and show these drivers that they do still support them. So get your votes in. One vote per driver, per series, per day. Vote counts double if you share it on Facebook or Twitter. Vote for Matt DiBenedetto in the NASCAR Cup Series. The other two I'll leave up to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, after that shameless uh, promotion there, uh, I want to uh, just ask you a question. Do you have any other playoff drivers uh, that you want to write about? Uh, let me get back to you on that one. I'll, uh, I'll see what I, what I, who has been written about yet because I don't remember off the top of my head everybody. Uh, I'll get back to you offline about that. Okay, sounds good. Okay, uh, Andy. Do you have any playoff yeah, thank- drivers you want to write about? <laughs> yeah, thankfully he made the round of 12, so I can still write about him. But, yeah, Clint Boyer, I, uh, I do apologize. I said on last week's show that I was going to get something produced, and unfortunately I got sidetracked uh, with a little uh, racing last week. So, uh, But, nonetheless, uh, Boyer did make the next round, so I got a uh, couple weeks to get something done, which I will get done, I promise. <laughs> so um, look for that here soon. And um, on Twitter, SHR1498 fan. And uh, we'll see what kind of news comes out the next few days that we can talk about Thursday. Okay, looking forward to it. Uh, fan for Racing sites on Twitter, uh, Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere on social media, including fanforacing.com. Uh, and, uh, again, we've got uh, a lot coming up here with the uh, preview show on Thursday, uh, and I'm hoping to have a guest for that show, so we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens. Uh, still waiting for some response here, uh, but I am working on that. And, uh, uh, again, the racing at Las Vegas is going to be exciting. Uh, it's going to be the truck series on Friday. Uh, We've got the uh, Xfinity Series racing on Saturday night at Las Vegas, and, uh, again, the Cup Series at Las Vegas on Sunday night. Uh, So that's going to be a night race at Las Vegas for the Cup Series. First of the second round, uh, the Xfinity Series, this is going to be the first race of their uh, first round. And uh, the truck series, I think that's going to be an elimination race for the truck series. So I expect that race to be pretty intense. And we'll be talking about all three of those races, as well as the Arkham Menard series, uh, racing at uh, at the Bullring in Las Vegas this weekend as well. So that's Thursday night starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Definitely looking forward to that. Sam has his recap out uh, from the uh, race at Bristol, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a cash and pass article that will be coming out this week uh, from Owen. And I know Sam was going to do some uh, a feature uh, following the end of the round of uh, 16 for the Cup Series with some predictions and his thoughts about the, the uh 
closing round as well as the upcoming round. So uh, definitely looking forward to that as well. And Andy, I'll look forward to uh, that Boyer article as well as I plan to get my Martin Truex article out this uh, round as well sometime during these next three races. So uh, watch for that uh, to be coming out as well. I did put an article out today about some of the announcements that uh, were put, well, about a specific announcement, and that is Ross Chastain going to the number 42 for the uh, 2021 season. So that's out on fan racing as well. So with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap uh, with a big thank you to all of our fans for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you and uh, hope you'll return for our Thursday night show at 8.30 p.m. as well as our Monday night show also at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. So with that, uh, hot topics always at 10 o'clock and uh, always fun. So thanks, guys, for all that you do. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll call that a wrap. All right. Have a great night. We'll see you Thursday. Good night, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.